That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Oh, Season ended with a national championship game in Houston, and then all hell pretty much broke loose. Nick Saban hangs it up. Kalen DeBoer goes to Alabama. Jed Fish backfills and goes to Washington to take over the Huskies program. Now Brent Brennan headed to Arizona. The introductory news conference for Fish went down today, and during said news conference, he was asked about being a forever guy, or how long could he reasonably expect to look fans in the eye and say, hey, this is my job, I'm here for for the foreseeable future, all of that stuff about commitment. Can he commit to staying at Washington? And he didn't give an answer that I think surprised anybody. And he also didn't really answer the question. Do you blame Jed Fish or do you admire him for basically saying, hey, the two places you want to be are the SEC and the Big Ten and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not so sure I'm mad at him because I'm I'm thinking at least he didn't lie. Did the last guy lie? And did Jed Fish lie at Arizona? Did he learn something there? I guess I'm hammering down on the idea of loyalty. Coaches asking players who are now more transient than ever for a commitment. What kind of commitment are coaches willing to give? Here's Jed Fish. Right. Well, I think that that's always a problem, right? You can't be right. You can't be wrong. Whatever you say, I know that that comment's always going to be made. Is it a destination job? Uh, I would answer it this way. The Big Ten, the SEC, right now is who's leading the football pathways. The college football landscape is about getting to the CFP. There's 12 teams that are going to compete every year starting next year in the college football playoffs. Um, If you look at what teams traditionally compete, it's about the same 12 or 14 teams. University of Washington is one of those 12 or 14 teams. Uh, That's why we coach. We coach to be able to take a seat at that table and to be able to give yourself a chance every single year with resources uh, beyond belief, with an opportunity to go out there with a fan base that's dying to continue to win, that have won national championships. And the idea of staying is why you come. The idea of being here is to win championships. And that's all I can promise, that we're going to be here every single day doing everything we can to win a championship, knowing that Washington has the opportunity to do that every year. There it is. Jed Fish is... You know, I, I have no doubt he's telling the truth. He's he's dancing around the question and he's and he's sort of underscoring the idea that 
coaches in general are going to say, you know, it's about family, it's about loyalty, it's about commitment when it benefits them, and they're going to say, hey, I got to do what's best for me when that benefits them as well. And those two things are often not congruent when coaches uh, have some success and have an opportunity to bounce and get on to the next job. We saw three head coaching changes that happened in that sequence as DeBoer heads to Alabama, as Jed Fish heads to Washington, and as Brent Brennan heads from San Jose State to Arizona to replace Fish. And I'm left thinking that I, I actually think that of the three, we're going to look back in five or six years and we're going to say, hey, that Brent Brennan hire at Arizona was the best hire. It feels sneaky good to me. Given that Arizona's going to the Big 12, Brennan has proof of performance at a place that has zero resources. This feels like it lines up nicely for Arizona. It feels like a bit of a risk for Washington with Fish having just a small sample size. I've always, you know, we've had him on the show a few times. I've talked to him one on one. I've always left those conversations thinking, gosh, he's a really smart guy. He's a great offensive coach. Uh, in the NFL, he'd, he'd clearly be a, a, an assistant or a coordinator on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, really smart guy. Uh, but, you know, do, does he have enough of a sample size at Arizona for me to say it's going to be a no-brainer great hire at Washington? I'm not sure. And now, and I'm looking at Kalen DeBoer going, hey, he's going to Alabama, he's going to the SEC. He's obviously won everywhere he's been. But the SEC is a different animal. And, you know, we kind of had this discussion last week on Friday about, you know, will he have that success or will he be eaten alive by Kirby Smart and Georgia? But I want you guys to think about the, the, the stuff that Fish is talking about, the loyalty, the fact that he's basically saying, look, um, we're, we're here for the W. You know, we're not, we're not here for forever. We're here for the win. This is the kind of place where, you know, you try to, you try to get there because there, it's a have. It's a place that has a chance to play for national championship. Clearly, Washington does going to the Big Ten, coming off a Pac-12 appearance in the title game. But what do you make of the loyalty element from coaches? Would you rather have Jed Fish say what he said today? Here's how I'll put it. Basically not saying, hey, you know what, uh, You know, I'm committed. I'm going to be here forever. My family's going to love it here. You know, Or or do you like that he's at least kind of being honest with, with the fans and honest with media in saying, Hey, here's what it's about. It's not about forever. It's not about really loyalty. It's about being at a place where you have a chance to compete for a national title. 503-417-7575 is the number. Want your phone calls on that. we got a great show today. We're going to check in with uh, with the Seattle Times' Mike Varell, fresh off covering the Huskies, who was at the introductory news conference for Jed Fish, get his impressions. Uh, you know, there's it's a different animal to be in the room, you know, and, and hear and see and talk with Jed Fish off to the side. So we'll get what Varel's impressions were of the news conference. He'll be joining us uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. And then Kyle Smith, Washington State men's basketball coach. He deserves a victory lap. All that guy did was lose several players to the NBA, lose a player to Villanova in the transfer portal. D.J. Rodman jumps in the portal on him at the end of last season, goes to USC. So he lost T.J. Bamba and D.J. Rodman both in the transfer portal. His roster was decimated. I got to be honest, like a lot of you who follow college basketball, I looked at the, the sort of the waiver wire at Washington State. He replaces guys who go to the NBA and go off to other uh, colleges via the portal. He replaces those guys with a junior college transfer, 
a kid from Sonoma State playing Division Two basketball, a kid from the Big Sky Conference playing at Idaho, and guess what Kyle Smith does? He beats Arizona, he beats USC. What the hell is going on with Washington State men's basketball? We'll talk a little hoops with Kyle Smith coming up later on the show. But, Stephen, i got to get your impressions. You hear Jed Fish there. He's basically saying, hey, you know, he gets asked about his commitment, and he says, well, I'll put it this way. He doesn't really answer the question, but do you have more respect for him, or do you kind of roll your eyes? I mean, I give him a little more respect because I, I just feel like all these coaches are lying, and at least he's out in front of it like, you know what, like I'm going to be honest about this, and this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, where we've seen a lot of coaches and a lot of people in sports lately, I think especially – you know, say that this is their forever place or, you know, say one thing and then do another in the Blazers stance. You know, they wanted to build around Dane, but all along they really wanted to trade Dane. You could tell, like, I, I do give him a little credit for being honest and being, you know, opinionated enough and confident in himself to say, look, man, like, th- this is how I feel. And it may not be, you know, politically correct, but this is what I'm going to say. And it may make some fans mad at me, rub them the wrong way, but it's okay. So I give him some credit for it because, John, this is going to happen. Like, especially now with the transfer portal being so active in college football and college basketball, mostly college football, like coaches are going to be leaving schools and then they're going to be bringing their players with them. Like that's just going to happen. And so it's going to be even more and more relevant of people leaving, you know, coaches leaving, players leaving, everybody leaving to go to a new spot. So at least, you know, Jetfish is out there and open about it and saying, you know what, this is may not be my forever place, uh, but it's a place I can definitely win right now. I think, I think we all kind of know it, that that's what it's about, but we all become suckers, especially if it's your team. You become a sucker because a lot of Washington fans, a lot of Arizona fans, a lot of Oregon fans, Oregon State fans, hell, they went through it with Jonathan Smith more recently. Um, a lot of those fans want to believe and see that their school is different and it's better and that the loyalty of your alma mater and the geography and the emotional ties, they, they matter. Even when Brett Brennan gets hired – at Arizona, it very quickly becomes he's our guy, and you see all the Arizona fans going, "Well, he, you know, he's got a connection to Dick Tomey back in the day. He was a graduate assistant." Like, like you start to see the justification and the bonding that happens between a head coach and a fan base. The same thing happened when Jed Fish was hired at Arizona. Happened when Kalen DeBoer went to Washington. The Washington fans may have been lukewarm on him to start, but the minute Kalen DeBoer sort of you know, put the flag put the flag in the ground, and you know Michael Penix Jr. looked good, and all of a sudden the Washington fans are like, "That's our guy," and you start to come up with all the reasons why he's not going to be like every other coach who has ambition, who is willing to stab the fan base in the back if it, if he has a better opportunity, and and it's a it's a very transactional business. It's always been transactional for coaches, but the difference now is there's so much more money involved that the coaches have an easier time, I think, justifying doing what's best for themselves, or maybe they're just a little more open about it, going, hey, you know, I have to go chase this opportunity. But Jed Fish is, you know, he's getting $53.4 million to go coach at Washington. And when somebody offers him $70 million at the end of this job, he's going to jump and take that. Meanwhile, Kalen DeBoer is headed to Alabama. And, uh, you know, he's talking about meeting with the team and loving the guys. And I want you to put yourself in those guys' shoes, okay? The legendary coach. Okay, that they came to play for, all right, and now what's next? And I can't tell you how much I appreciate them already, and I've had multiple meetings last night today with them, individually, leadership groups. I, I know how badly they want to continue the tradition, 
how they want to do it the right way. And them just getting to know me here in just a few hours, it's been a blast. And I can't wait for the journey that lies ahead. But Coach Saban, thank you for all you've done, um, for laying the foundation for myself this, and the rest of this uh, staff that we'll hire and these players to continue to build on everything you've, you've done here. So thank you. There it is, uh, as Kalen DeBoer talks about it. Two coaches, both on the move, both doing what's best for themselves. And, uh, you know, I put a poll question out this morning, you know, which of those hires is going to be the best hire when you look back at Kalen DeBoer, Jed Fish, Brent Brennan, and, you know, has about 3,000 votes on it right now. And right now, Kalen DeBoer at 39.5% is leading the way. And Brent Brennan is second at 31.8, and Jed Fish is third at 28%. So, you know, what do you see happening, Stephen? Let's talk success. What does success mean at Alabama, Washington, and Arizona? And which coach do you think has the most success? Five years from now, we look back, who's the best hire? Uh, the way you define success is going to be different than all those programs, right? Alabama is to win national championships. I think if you're at Washington, to define success is going to be making the 12-team college football playoff. And if you're uh, uh, Arizona and Brent and Brennan, you have to be competitive and have kind of those, you know, those years where maybe you do compete for the top 12 in the college football playoff. It's not going to be an every-year thing, but you got to have consistently, consistently be good. Um, you know, I think a team like Utah would be like your uh, – you're equal of what you would want to be if you're Arizona. You know, be very good every single season. Have a chance to be there if you if some things break your way. Um, I, I think ultimately, I think Kalen DeBoer is going to be successful at Alabama. I know it's going to be tough following Nick Saban, and I know that you know, the recruiting hasn't necessarily been as high as it was uh, when he was at Washington, where it needs to be at Alabama. But I think that guy is one of a kind. He's one of one as a coach. I think he's maybe the best coach in all of college football when you look at the X's and O's type of stuff especially on the offensive side. So I think he's going to be so successful with those type of athletes that he gets over at Alabama. And I, I think they're going to be right there uh, in the college world playoff every year and competing for national titles. So I, I think ultimately it's going to be DeBoer. But it, the interesting part, John, also is like, you know, DeBoer sound, you know, he's given a lot of credit to Nick Saban for building the foundation. You talk about Jetfish, you know, being very open about things. In college football nowadays with, with so many players leaving and so many coaches leaving and all these transfers, it is so important to have buy-in, right? So I think that's why the fans love to have a you know their quote unquote their guy because it's all about buy-in. We we see teams Texas A&M who live just on F off NIL. They're not very good. Miami same type of thing. But you look at teams like uh, Washington. They don't have the highest recruits, but they were all in last season. Michigan same thing. Didn't have the highest recruits, but they're all in together. I think that that is more important now in college sports than it ever has been in the past. So I, I do think like. The fact that these fans can get behind some of these hires, and it sounds like everyone loves DeBoer down in Alabama. It sounds like Jet Fish is being welcomed by Washington, and it sounds like Brent Brennan, as you said, is being welcomed by Arizona. They, they all those fan bases have to feel good with those hires because there's going to be some buy-in at least right at the start, and you can get some players going and, and build some type of foundation. I, I'm worried most most about Fish because I think he's got the the trickiest act here. He's following Kalen DeBoer. Who you know didn't lose a game this this season until the national title game. He doesn't have Michael Penix Jr. with him. I, Jed Fish is a great offensive coach, but he's going to the Big Ten, and the landscape is going to be more difficult in the Big Ten than it was in the Pac-12. So I think the job is going to be a little harder, and he's not armed with Penix. And so I kind of wonder a little bit about him. But I also uh, you know I'm looking over at. DeBoer, and I just kind of think, like, for those of you out there who are familiar with the SEC, you tell me, how patient will Alabama fans be if DeBoer wobbles a little bit? 
coming out of the gates. And will he wobble? 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Let me ask you about Fish then, because you talk about expectations for Washington if he struggles. I mean, are they going to be upset if Washington goes 8-4 and next season? Like, what what are the expectations going to be for Washington fans now that they've had that taste of a national championship game? Yeah, I think they're all fans are spoiled. Let's let's be real. They're like your children. They're all spoiled. They all have too much. They all, you know, they're in the back seat and, uh, and the coach is driving. And and I do do think Washington fans were conditioned in the Chris Peterson era and certainly Don James as you go back and back. They were conditioned with success. And Jimmy Lake came in and he went four and eight and that wasn't good enough. And a lot of people are, you know, if if Jed Fish has a wobbly year in year one. There'll be some squawking. There'll be some squabbling about it. And I do think, look, um, you know, it, you kind of look at the jobs now. We're getting clarity. Like, we always knew there was clarity on which jobs were better jobs. Alabama's a better job than Washington. Washington's a better job than Arizona. Arizona's a better job than San Jose State. So you under it makes sense why the coaches are moving up. But they're also tougher and trickier in different ways. And of the three... I actually think Arizona's the easiest job now going to the Big 12 with Brent Brennan, who has, like, made hay at San Jose State with no resources. That, you know, San Jose State is just making it up as they go. Brennan's had success there. Winning season, winning season, winning season. I'm kind of excited to see what he does at Arizona where he'll have a little bit of resources. And I think Dave Hickey, the athletic director at, at Arizona, I said this. The last time I said this was when Jen Cohen at Washington hired Kalen DeBoer. I came on the show and I said, sneaky good hire. Everybody was, you know, the, the USC marching band was out and the, and the cheerleaders were out. And they were announcing that they had redefined the, the landscape of college football and hiring Lincoln Riley. And then Oregon hired Dan Lanning. We got the guy from Georgia. And then all Jen Cohen did is she kind of slipped in, slipped in and said, uh, I'm going to hire Kalen DeBoer. And everybody went, okay, that's underwhelming. No, it was no, it was smart. It was sneaky good. Brennan feels that way to Arizona. And I kind of wonder, I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, he came in second in the Oregon State thing. You know, Trent Bray gets it. I understand why he got the job. I understand why Scott Barnes hired Trent Bray. I don't think that, you know, Barnes... Look too hard at anybody else, but I wonder if Brent Brennan's success he that he'll have at Arizona is going to make Oregon State wonder about the Bray hire. When you talk about the hierarchy of jobs, where does Oregon fit in on that? Is it closer to Alabama or closer to Washington? Because Lanny was supposedly a candidate, but was he really an actually candidate because of the bio and all that kind of stuff? Did he actually think about leaving? I don't is think Oregon he was. is Oregon yeah. closer to Alabama or is it closer to Washington? I think Oregon's in between, I, and I, I think Oregon's a better job than Washington, and it and it comes down to one thing. It comes down to NIL Collective. Division Street is greater than Montlake Futures, and it's not close. And so I think Oregon is head and shoulders above Washington when it comes to that stuff. Um, and I think Oregon's plan is pretty evident, right? You know, no disrespect to the Oregon coaching staff, but I think the the formula at Oregon has become – Let's get all the best players we can possibly get into the locker room and get them in uniform, and then we'll worry about coaching them. But we're probably going to win our games on National Signing Day and in the portal, and and that's where we're going to get our wins. And we're not actually, during a game, going to out-coach somebody or out-adjust somebody. We might out-prepare them, but we're certainly going to out-talent them. And I think that's Oregon's entire philosophy right now. And I mean no disrespect to Tosh Lapoy or Will Stein, the two coordinators. I'm just saying, like, 
I think that it's clear what Oregon is doing is Oregon's trying to get all the talent into the room and go, hey, we got better guys than you. And and they're going to do that. And I think they'll do that in the Big Ten to everybody except maybe Michigan and Ohio State. So I think Oregon is like right in there like in third position. And I think Washington's probably more like in fifth or sixth position in that conference. I think Penn State and Oregon are both in front of them. So I think at best you're, you're number five, maybe you're number six. I don't know. But especially – coming out of the gates with Jed Fish the way he is. I, I want to hear from you, though. 503-417-7575. I know we got bad weather out there. The roads, you know, Stephen, did you have any trouble getting downtown today? Uh, you know, the main roads were okay. I will say that. If you go side roads for anything, it is going to be a disaster and slippery everywhere. But a lot of the main roads, I take McLaughlin to MLK. Uh, it, it was pretty good. Uh, getting in, so I didn't have too much trouble getting into the place. But you know, if I if I tried to go the back way, which I avoided at all costs, uh, that might have been a problem. I I, I want to hear from you and your weather trials and tribulations in the last seventy two hours. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, if you don't need to be on the roads, you should not be on the roads uh, later this afternoon. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll talk about these coaching changes. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. I know I mentioned on Friday's show that. I bought a generator. I did that a couple years ago after that last uh, snowmageddon cold snap that we went through. The power went out. Power was out at our house for like three days. My sister lost her power for like six days. It was brutal. I know there's some people out there that are going through that right now. I wish I could help you. Um, I uh, I had the kids go through a, a drill. We uh, We got the generator fired up after Friday's show gassed it up, tested it in the driveway, had to YouTube a couple things to make sure I was doing it right, um, got about two miles of extension cords in case I have to run various devices off of it, told the kids if I yell, Jericho, Jericho, they're to assemble in the living room with flashlights and be ready to uh, to get instructed on what they're to do. Um, alas, uh, we did not lose power over the weekend. I feel a little bad for people who did lose power. If you're out there and you're struggling, I heard from a friend, Bill, today. My friend Bill Huffner over at uh, Pacific Seafood. Um, I heard from him today, and he was like, uh, he hasn't had power. He lives in the Cedar Hills area. They had a bunch of trees go down in their area. I would love to hear from you. What is going on in your neighborhood? What is going on with the roads, the ice, the power situation? Are you listening to this show in traffic? Um, give us a traffic report from where you are. Help other people because we're supposed to have some deteriorating weather uh, today in the area, in our listening area. I talked to Matt Prem today of 24-7 Sports. He's down in Eugene. He spent like six hours trying to go seven miles in his car. And part of the problem was people who were in traffic apparently fell asleep in their cars. And so people were having to get out of their car, go up to the window and knock on the window going, hey, we're moving. And I was causing even more traffic. It was just a nightmare. Stay awake. Stay alert. 503-417-7575. I felt good. You know, Anna was driving around today with the kids. She, like, kids are out of school, of course, because schools are canceled. And she was driving around. And I I was on the phone with Bess over at Gresham Ford. And I said to Bess, you know, I, I, I... I said, I better tell people about this because she's got the all-wheel drive uh, Ford Explorer and feeling good, driving around like no problem. 
And we live in an area that can be a little tricky if you don't have the right vehicle. So she's got the right vehicle, and I appreciate that. But I want to hear from you. Are you stuck? Are you stranded? Did you deal with weather, power outage? Is your power still out? Are you without water? My friend Bill, he's without power and water, Stephen. And he's been without power and water for like a day. That's uh, yeah, that that's brutal, man. I, because that happened to us a couple years ago, right? You said in the ice storm, we lost power yes. for I want to say three days, and uh, we were all at the edge of it. There, my wife's parents they had lost water, but luckily my my wife's uh, mom she she has these like not not visions I wouldn't say, but she always has these thoughts, and she ha- she can read in the future sometimes. I feel like she's a brilliant woman, and so she had a feeling that the water was going to go out. They could they were going to lose water, so she actually filled up like a bunch of water. Before this happened, and then their water, you know, they lost their water, which is amazing that she had the foresight to do that. But yeah, we've had some friends um, over in Lake Oswego area. They've been out without power for a while. So, man, it's just, it's tough. And we've been lucky this time that nothing has happened for us. It's very icy around our house. You know, we went uh, sledding down the ice down a hill today, but uh, it isn't, it is still nasty out there. That is for sure. Yeah. Freezing rain in the area, uh, you know, probably coming down right now. I cannot see it from the studio, but let's go out to the phone lines. If you're out there, I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. Let's go out to Highway 99 near Sherwood. Kelly is on the line. Kelly, set the scene. Well, I was, uh, I live in Sherwood. I was running an errand in Tualatin, going down 99. I got to my errand, got that finished when I came out to the car, right around the Fred Meyer Martinazzi area. Um, Started coming down. And starting to freeze, and it is freezing rain. I can see it on my windshield. I felt it outside. So I got back. I'm just pulling into my neighborhood. It appears to be coming from the coast or from that direct, from Newburgh, that direction. But it is, it is freezing rain. Yeah, uh, and you, you stay safe, man. And what's the traffic like? Uh, the traffic is a little bit heavy right now with people. Obviously, I think people are realizing they probably need to be heading wherever they're heading, and I would suggest that. Um, um, I immediately said, I'm coming, I'm not going to stop anywhere because this stuff, you can't drive on it no matter what. And I have a, I have a four wheel drive truck, but yeah, so it's, 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 it's sticking pretty good right now too. I've just pulled it into my, my house. All right. Get there, stay home, stay safe. If you don't need to be on the roads, don't be on the roads. I thought it was very irresponsible over the weekend. You know, I don't have a dog in the fight, but I was really disappointed with Moda Center. Um, I don't know if you saw what they did, Stephen. Like uh, all of the uh, all of the other sort of activities that were going on downtown were canceled on Saturday because roads were were bad, and you know, ice was coming, and power outages were coming. And frankly, sometimes it's not even about is it safe to get there and get back. Sometimes it's about whether or not um, first responders should should have to deal with. The fact that, like, you know, the Lion King is going on downtown or whatever. And so um, I thought it was really nice to see that the productions that were going on, like the Lion King, were all canceled early on Saturday. And, you know, not just out of, uh, you know, abundance of safety for the people who are going to see it, but also for the staff that's going to have to be there. And, frankly, for those uh, emergency services people that will get called when people get stuck or stranded. Keep the roads open. Do the right thing. And here came Tina Fey and uh, Amy Poehler doing a uh, show at Moda. Uh, I think they had a 3.30 show, and then they had like a 7 p.m. show. 
And, of course, as everybody else is canceling, the uh, money grab going on at Moda Center uh, said, hey, our events are open and the Winterhawks are playing tonight. And that was the tweet that went out midday on Saturday. I reached, I reached out to Dwayne Hankins, president of the Blazers, and I said, hey, man, you might want to get in front of this because you're going to take a beating on this one. And he already was. The Blazers were taking a beating. The Moda Center Twitter account was taking a beating. People on Facebook were all upset and tweeting and posting and saying, what are you doing? Just cancel the damn event. And and there's probably some language in their contract that says, hey, the promoter has the right, only right to cancel. Um, it probably was going to leave somebody holding the bag, no doubt. It was about money. But Moda Center did not cancel the 330 show and waited until 5.01 to cancel the 7 p.m. show. So it was, frankly, irresponsible for them to do anything at all. But I have to wonder about the people who were going, hey, I'm going to the 7 p.m. show, but I better get downtown. Now they're already downtown or they're out and they're, you know, whatever. And the Winterhawks canceled as well. It's just I was slapping my forehead and going, this is just another way in which the folks at One Center Court just don't get it. They just don't get it. And and I have to think, I keep going back to Burt Cold and Jody Allen, and there's just a symptom after symptom after symptom that tells me that this uh, this organization is in trouble. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Don's in Tiger. Don, what's up, man? What's on your mind? I'm home, and I wanted to ask you in your opinion if – if Baker throws like that on a dime and throws real fast, you think they'll make it to the NFC Championship? You're talking about the NFL playoffs. And you're jumping ahead on the record here. I'm talking about the weather. But the NFL playoffs, yeah, it was, I thought it was a really eye-opening weekend in the, in the NFL. I thought the Dallas Cowboys, man, if you're a Cowboys fan, I feel really bad for you. I, uh, I can't imagine that Cowboys fans are feeling like, uh, hey, we're in good shape, you know, this organization's in good hands. Same thing as I'm kind of lamenting the Blazers' woes. Is there not a symptom after symptom going on with the Dallas Cowboys on Wild Card Weekend? Um, I, I, I guess a couple things surprised me out of the weekend. The way the Cowboys laid down, and they did, um, I was surprised that the Dolphins, you know, after looking so great at different points of the season, they just kind of were the just kind of went quietly against the Chiefs. I was surprised about that. Um, uh, and and the Eagles. The Eagles are doing the same swoon that the Dallas Cowboys are. I almost feel like, look, I'm a Niner fan. I saw the Niners beat the pants off the Eagles, what, five, six weeks ago, whatever that was. I kind of feel like they broke the Eagles. And the Eagles were just never the same again after that. So, I'm you know, I'm looking forward to uh, the weekend coming up and the rest of the uh, playoffs, but... Do you, does anybody believe Tampa? Steven, do you believe Tampa can get there? Do you believe Tampa can, can you know, it, I just kind of feel like Tampa's, this is about as far as they could go, but is the Baker-Mayfield story going to continue beyond the divisional playoffs? I, I, I bet against it. I don't think so either. Um, I, right now I, I would lean Bucks plus the six points, but I think the Detroit wins. What it what it says to be, John, is uh, over in the NFC. The Forty ers have a pretty wide open path to the Super Bowl. I mean, who's who's in their way that's going to get them out? Is the Packers? I don't. I don't. I can't see that this next week. And then see the Lions or the Bucks. 
It seems like the 49ers have a real I, you know, easy is a bad word to say, but they have a real clear path to the Super Bowl this season. And as long as they can stay healthy, I, you know, I don't see anyone in the NFC that can really stop that uh, 49ers train getting by everybody. Yeah, and I think, does it mean that the Niners are that much better than everybody, or is the division weak? And, and I'm wrestling with that because I thought between the Eagles, the Niners, the Cowboys, the resurgence of the Lions, I thought, hey, there's a little depth there. Uh, you know, you can throw the Packers in there, I guess, but there's a little depth there. But it just feels to me like the Niners are in the Super Bowl at this point, and maybe that's a signal that maybe, yeah, they're pretty good, but also maybe the NFC is not well, that good. And I think the one thing also is it goes back to that Christmas Day game against the Ravens, right, when it was in San Francisco and the 49ers just got waxed by Baltimore. That was when I would question, like, yeah, is it is the NFC just really that bad or is it just a one-off with the 49ers? Because I wrestle that question, too. I don't know. I don't think anyone in the NFC is very good besides the 49ers, but I can't tell how good I think the 49ers are if they're the best team in the league or if they're you know one of the top three. It's still a question, but... Uh, I'll be interested to see how Detroit plays in this second round game against the Bucks because the Bucks looked really good. But you, you're right about the Eagles, man. They they just fell off the edge of a cliff halfway through the season after that 49ers loss, and they didn't look like a shell of themselves. So it'll be interesting to see how the Bucks do play against the Lions when you know that place in Detroit is going to be a madhouse, just like it was this past weekend. Let's go to the phone lines. Charlie in Vancouver wants to change the subject back to the weather. Charlie, what's up, man? Hey, John, uh, it's not doing anything here yet, but what's happening is on the, like, Highway 500 and stuff like that, some of the main arterials, it's clear and then it's not. So can I make a public service announcement to the 10% of four-wheel drive truckers who just think that I can go 60 miles an hour while everybody else is going 35? Dude, you're going to get in a wreck. Yes, you'll be able to get out after you get in a wreck, but you don't stop any quicker than anybody else. Please be sane and don't show off the fact that you got a four-wheel drive. I know how tempting it is, Charlie. I've driven, you know, a four-wheel drive. I'm not driving like a big truck or anything. But when you're in four-wheel drive, it's kind of like me and my generator. You know, the power flickers and goes out. I'm going to. There's a little part of my heart that will also be a little bit elated that I'm going to get to use the generator. But I. So what I think we're telling people is, hey. Think about other people. If you're out there driving around, don't drive like an idiot. I was driving on Sunday, and I'm driving down a two-lane road that is like a normal, like heavily trafficked road, and there's nobody on it but me and like a few other cars, and all of a sudden, the other direction, two guys driving two ATVs are just kind of doing donuts and swerving around, and I'm like, dude, you lose control. You're causing a problem for me. They were coming towards me doing all this nonsense. Uh, let's go to Mark in Beaverton. Mark, what's on your mind? Hey, John, I want to give you a weather report. So um, actually this last week, and I thought of you because I remember the last snow and ice storm that you guys were out for a few days. <laughs> Definitely praying for you, but I was praying for, praying for my friends because I don't know if they still, but as of yesterday, they um, were still out of power and they lived in, Lake Oswego, you know, where there's a lot of trees and, you know, listening to the, the news reports of people who like would go out to turn their car on, go back inside and they come out and there'd be a tree, you know, that had just flattened their car. So it's, it's, it's treacherous out there, but um, we're doing good. We only lost power for like seven hours on Saturday and we had a generator that was still in the box. We just never, never used it. So, um, so we had that going for us, but anyway, just, 
just praying for everybody to just be safe and don't go anywhere. Yeah, it's good. It's good to be mindful of that. You know, all the jokes aside. Um, the other thing I I saw over the weekend too was the news reports about house fires and apartment fires with people lo- using portable heaters. When you set those things up, um, make sure you take care of them. Um, there's a lot to uh, think about that is, that is extra. Uh, our big splash is coming up. Uh, we will uh, talk with Mike Varell of the Seattle Times at 4 o'clock as well. He was at the news conference for Jed Fish as he was introduced as Washington's new football coach. Later in the show, Kyle Smith, Washington State men's basketball coach. I think uh, Arizona is the highest-ranked team. Oregon might be the best team in the Pac-12 right now. But Washington State is dangerous. Leave it here. I want your phone call. Set the scene wherever you may be. It's freezing rain. Stuck without power. Listening on a transistor radio in your car. Where are you? What are you doing? 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Um, we will uh, give you our big splash. And then coming up at 4 o'clock, Mike Farrell, who uh, covers Washington football. But the Seattle Times will be with us to talk about Jed Fish. Uh, before we get to the big splash, Stephen, can we talk NFL? Did you see anything from any of the teams that, because my, my pick for the Super Bowl has been Ravens-Niners since the Ravens and Niners played. Thought they were the two best teams earlier this season. Did you see anything that changed your mind? Do you think Houston or Kansas City or Buffalo or... Detroit or Tampa or Green Bay could upset that matchup. Well, I think Buffalo I, I like Buffalo in the AFC. I think Buffalo's gonna make the Super Bowl this season. I think this is just kind of their year uh to do it. And they've really hit a stride the last couple weeks. I think as John as long as Josh Allen doesn't turn the ball over, they're gonna win. The thing that did shock me a little bit though, John, I know CJ Stroud is awesome, but he may be like the guy that we've been waiting for since Patrick Mahomes. Like, he might be that good. And call me crazy, I like Houston this week against Baltimore. I don't know that they win the game, but, man, every game C.J. Stroud has played in, you know, he starts – every game he started and finished in, the Texans start out 0-2. The only other losses they had were by less than three points all season long. They have been in any every single game except for the first two of C.J. Stroud's career. He is awesome. I, I, I thought he'd be really good coming to the NFL. I didn't think he'd be this good. He may be like a top six, seven quarterback already in the mm. NFL, maybe even wow. better. I, I, they, I don't know that Houston has the talent to make the Super Bowl, but I think they're live against Baltimore this week. I think they have a chance, and I think that was the most shocking of it all was just that how good C.J. Stroud looked against that Cleveland Browns defense, which was historic this season. Like It wasn't just a good defense. It was a historically good defense. He shredded them. Is it possible it was a matchup thing? That that's just a matchup. But here come the Ravens. I think the Ravens are getting there. You don't. You think Buffalo? I do. Yeah, I think Buffalo. Uh, I think this is it. I think this is. It. They kind of know this is the time. If it doesn't happen this year, I don't know that it's not. Not you know maybe the coach is out. Josh Allen's not out. But I think there's going to be some changes to that. You know the core of that squad. They've had plenty of years to do it. I think Kansas City is down this season, so they got to get past the Chiefs this week. But I do think Buffalo. They know that their time is now, and this is the last chance they really got before they have to mess, you know, mess up with that core. So I think I, I do like Buffalo uh, to advance. I think it's going to be Buffalo versus Baltimore in the AFC title game in Baltimore, uh, but I would take Buffalo. All right, of the games that are happening Saturday and Sunday, I think the best two games are going to be Kansas City at Buffalo 
and I think Tampa at Detroit. I think those two games are going to be better. I think the Ravens and Niners on Saturday win going away. But who's your what's your must-watch game for the weekend? It's got to be Kansas City-Buffalo. I mean, those those two teams have played so many times in the playoffs, and Kansas City gets the best of Buffalo every single time. And this is, it's like I said, if Buffalo doesn't get it this time, John, there's got to be some shakeups to that core because they just can't get it done then. So I think that is the one marquee game I want to watch. Then the other one for me, it is definitely uh, the Texans versus the Ravens. I, I want to see what C.J. Stroud does in his first playoff road game. He looked great at home, and I think he, I think he might be the dude. I think he could be, you know, a top five guy already. Like that's how good he is. He, you know, he's a great leader on that team. D'Amico Ryan's has that defense rolling. I'm excited about this Texans team, man. I, I want to see what they can do in a real tough spot against Lamar Jackson, who has had playoff struggles in the past, John. So I, I you know, I think Houston's got a shot in this one. That'd be the other game I want to watch. Brings us to our big splash. It involves the Seahawks. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, Pete Carroll's out, uh, as we know, in Seattle. General Manager John Schneider, talking to reporters today, said his new role with the Seahawks will include control over the personnel and oversight of the coaching staff. He will lead the first head coaching search of his 14-year tenure. He got instructions, he said, from Jody Allen. One directive. It's clear and it's concise. And uh, he is going to be having to look at Hiring somebody that keeps the positive culture together. Here's Schneider on what he's most looking forward to in the coaching search. I think the learning, evolving, looking forward, where's the game going? You know, uh, 14 years is a long time for one coach to be in, in, in a spot, right? And, and uh, it's been incredible. God rest his soul, uh, Marty Schottenheimer would always tell me, you know, one coach can't stay in one spot for more than 10 years. Uh, he retired when I was with him in, in Kansas City for a year. And uh, it's just that opportunity to learn from all these people that are doing incredible things, you know, in college football and around the, na- and around the National Football League. And you cannot, if you're stagnant in this league, you're, you're behind. So I think that's the probably the most intriguing thing is to learn and, and be open-minded. Learn, be open-minded. I worry about Jody Allen's influence in the background. She's given him a directive about culture. I hope she's also saying, I don't know anything about football. This is your baby, John Schneider. If she does that, I think the Seahawks will be okay because the NFL is a league that is built to avoid a catastrophic fall off a cliff like the Blazers have had in the NBA. NBA not built like that. No hard salary cap. Uh, the league's, uh, you know, contracts are not, you know, they're not guaranteed in the NFL. The NFL allows you a wide berth as an executive. It allows you to rebuild quicker. Um, John Schneider, speaking with reporters today, also went on to say the 15 years with Pete Carroll were good ones. You know, uh, Pete Carroll. <laughs> so uh, we could have Pete and I could split today and have podcasts for years on end and uh, just sit and riff about all the decisions, uh, 
all the discussions, all the debates, uh, the ups, the downs, everything we've been through, we've been so blessed uh, to have that relationship. I, I consider myself extremely fortunate to uh, have hooked up with Pete uh, 14, 15, 15 years ago now. 15 years ago. 15 good years calling it quits. Uh, I guess it didn't go all that well. I got a question uh, for you for real quick. John Schneider, yeah. About that coaching search. Uh, it, last week it seemed like Dan Quinn was one of the favorites to be that to get that job, the Cowboys defensive coordinator. Uh, after the Cowboys' performance against the Packers, do you think there's uh, any you know, thought with the, within Seahawks fans or the Seahawks organization that he may not be the guy uh, to be the head coach? Yeah, I, I thought about that as well as I saw anything that has anything to do with Dallas right now is toxic. And I don't know if you can sell that to your fan base with any kind of enthusiasm. And part of hiring a coach is not just getting it right, hiring the best coach, hiring a staff, but you also want to reinvigorate the fan base and you want to you want to change, uh, you know, you want to make a correction. You, you got to win the press conference too. Hiring somebody because of correction, yeah, it's it's just um, I think it's I think it's a bad bad look. You know, I I don't know what I mean. What do you think's wrong with the Dallas Cowboys? Can we start there? Is it is it just Jerry Jones? Because I kind of think it's just Jerry Jones. You put uh, I don't I can't put it all on the owner. I can't. I mean, I know he has his hands on everything, but he's he's divvied out some uh, some responsibility to all the other staff members. I, I I I'm less of a hater on the owners than you are. You you I feel like you like to blame the owners for all of it. I'm gonna blame the players on a lot of it. I feel like it's a players' league in the NFL and the NBA. So I'm not going to blame Jerry Jones. I'd blame Mike McCarthy. I'd blame Dak Prescott. I'd blame Ceedee Lamb, who looked like he was having a you know a, a breakdown in the first quarter, where almost crying on the sideline. So I blame the players and the coaches more than the owners. I blame the owner because it's the owner who hires the coach, hires the GM, sets the tone. If you got the wrong players in the room and the wrong coach on the sideline, you're in trouble. And the Dallas Cowboys, I don't think Dak Prescott's that good. I think it's really easy to be like, he's not that good. He's not that guy. He's not, you know, he's not a quarterback capable of winning a playoff game at this point of his career. But I'm blaming the owner and the GM who put him there. Well, Jed Fish introduced introductory news conference. He was asked about his commitment. Here's what Jed Fish said. Right, well, I think that that's always a problem, right? You can't be right, you can't be wrong, whatever you say. I know that that comment's always going to be made. Is it a destination job? Uh, I would answer it this way. The Big Ten, the SEC, right now is who's leading the football pathways. The college football landscape is about getting to the CFP. There's 12 teams that are going to compete every year starting next year in the college football playoffs. Um, if you look at what teams traditionally compete, it's about the same 12 or 14 teams. University of Washington is one of those 12 or 14 teams. Uh, that's why we coach. We coach to be able to take a seat at that table and to be able to give yourself a chance every single year with resources uh, beyond belief, with an opportunity to go out there with a fan base that's dying to continue to win, that have won national championships. And the idea of staying is why you come. The idea of being here is to win championships. And that's all I can promise, that we're going to be here every single day doing everything we can to win a championship, knowing that Washington has the opportunity to do that every year. Jed Fish, he's the new guy in at the University of Washington. Mike Farrell was on the beat all season long at the Seattle Times. 
his evolving role there, writing columns from beat guy to columnist. Mike Farrell uh, has to talk about Jed Fish in this transition. He's joining us now. Mike, give me an idea what what it's been like. Kalen DeBoer out, uh, Jed Fish in. Uh, what's what's the latest? Uh, I think the latest is that no one has slept in weeks, and it's just this kind of evolving mechanism here, right? I don't think anyone can quite believe it. I don't know that I've totally sat down and let it sink in. But, you know, we went to a press conference today. Uh, it felt like we were just in that exact same place, in that exact same room, welcoming Kalen DeBoer two years ago. Um, and, and life goes on. And it, this is a completely different team, and a lot of the roster is different, and it's going to be more different as – the transfer portal continues to evolve and the roster continues to change. And I just, it just feels like that national championship game was a year ago instead of eight days. Now, you know, I'm writing that as we speak, but it just feels like so much has happened. That's kind of shifted the identity of Washington football and the face of Washington football. And, you know, they very well may have made an excellent hire in jet fish, but I don't think anyone here has been able to, to really sit down and, and, you know, sink in that truth and, and let it really, you know, sink into their bones. The fact that, there is a new face of this program right now. Yeah, and Kalen DeBoer leaves. My Washington fan friends were felt felt very jilted. They felt like you know it was too soon. He had preached some things. Jed Fish kind of did the same thing at Arizona. Is this chat just kind of what coaches do, Mike? I mean, I think you know I, I've been comparing it to kind of just the it's the chain of command. It's it's. Uh, you know, there's 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 a uh, a circle of life here at this point where, you know, Alabama eats Washington and Washington eats Arizona and Arizona eats San Jose State and right now resources are king, and you want to get to that next step on the ladder and and you know uh, salaries are are a big deal and assistant coach salary pools are a big deal and NIL is a big deal and just it does feel more and more rare that you have a coach who you know sets up shop in a place for for two decades and, and gets the uh, the statue out front. And I really thought, you know, probably like some of your friends, just getting to know Kalen DeBoer a little bit. I thought he was the kind of guy who might want to just create an identity somewhere and say, you know, this is my place. I'm going to make this place in the image of myself. The program's going to be exactly what I want it to be. It's not going to have, you know, Tuscaloosa, Alabama um, kind of spotlight. It's going to be able to kind of shield itself from the Seahawks a little bit. Um, from that kind of a spotlight, and I can just kind of build it the way that I want to. I thought that was something that would appeal to him, and I think maybe it did to a degree, but, you know, when you're going up against Alabama, Alabama usually wins in that regard, and that's been the case both, you know, with Alabama and Washington and then with Washington and Arizona and on and on and on. Mike, the hire of fish, did it move the needle for the fan base, uh, or is it is it a lot for the fan base to absorb? I think it's more the latter. I mean, I, I think it's a good hire under the circumstances, but I think this whole thing is still so jarring. You get broken up with, and then you're being proposed to two days later, and I think it's just you have to sit with it for a while, the truth of all of this. And I think, you know, Jed Fish, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense in terms of his West Coast recruiting ties and just all the people that he's coached under and the ability to kind of take a situation and, and transform that roster. I think all of that makes sense in, in the same breath i mean this is a team that just experienced such highs and a fan base that just experienced such highs so i think everyone is still kind of trying to trying to figure out what their new normal is right now so so in terms of whether it registered i think it registered as much as it could but under the circumstances it's hard for any hire to feel um, like one that the fan base can really revel in when you just came from such highs and then came crashing down 
Yeah, and I think that that fan base, you know, obviously that close to a national championship and, you know, like 72 hours later, uh, dealing with the possibility of losing DeBoer and then seeing him go. Did you get a sense from Fish who's coming with him from Arizona? How, you know, is he bringing Fafita, his quarterback? How soon can they be good? Yeah, I thought his, his press conference was pretty interesting because you go to, a, you know, obviously you've been to so many of these press conferences and, and a lot of them feel the same and the person promises wins and culture and all those things. And I thought it was really interesting what Jed Fish kind of pointedly didn't say. And, you know, we heard it in that intro. One, he didn't promise he was going to stay. He said, you know, we're going to do the best we can for as long as we're here and we're going to try to win championships. He never said, this is going to be the place for me. This is going to be the destination, which Kalen DeBoer kind of did say a couple of years ago. And the other thing is he really didn't promise that they were going to win in, in huge numbers right away because I think he looked at this roster. He looked at all the guys that are gone to the draft. He looked at all the guys who just jumped into the portal, though some of them may come back. And he really did say, we're going to try to build this from the ground up. And he's excited about building the foundation of this and having it be a gradual process. But you know, he, he wants to compete in the Big Ten next season, but he didn't promise anything. So in terms of who's coming, you know, I think that's still evolving. He's still settling on his staff. And I think some of those staff moves from Arizona will dictate how many of those guys come. But uh, I thought it was pretty interesting, just not just what he said, but what he refused to say today. Yeah, the stuff that he refused to say, some of it was honest. Like, I, I there was part of me that was kind of like, hey, he's not going to lie. He's basically just saying this is one of these jobs and, you know, I'm here for because it's a good job, and as long as it's a good job, you know, you'd love to be in a good job. But he wouldn't out and out say, this is my forever place, and he's not pulling a Dan Lanning and not doing that. Um, you know, the risk of this hire, a small sample size, does that give anybody pause in Seattle that the sample size of Fish's success is not, is not you know, it's not 10 years of success? Yeah, I mean, I think it probably should. Just the, the fact that this guy simultaneously has so much experience and so little, depending on how you characterize that. You know, he's been an assistant in, in so many different stints in so many different places, and he had really one transcendent run at Arizona. But I think the positives in that are all of that experience with, under all those great coaches and the ability to, you know, really aggressively recruit the West Coast, which he's already done. I think there's positives there. There's negatives, you know, you know looking at, who they considered to be the finalists. You know, you had Lance Leopold in, in, in Kansas, who was much more like Kalen DeBoer, who had won a ton as a head coach in numerous different places, but maybe isn't quite the proven recruiter that Jed Fish is. So I think there are different approaches there. Um, and I think there's a lot of upside to the Jed Fish hire, but certainly there's risk as well. Kalen DeBoer off to Alabama. Was there a sense that, you know, this, this, job just you know came together late as DeBoer said or is there a sense that DeBoer was really one foot out the door middle of the season the minute he hires Jimmy Sexton what have you learned on that front yeah I think that's um that's where it's still kind of evolving in terms of the information you know Troy Dannon talked a little bit today at the press conference and also spoke on local radio today and and did kind of say that he had a feeling as, as early as Thanksgiving where he thought that they had a contract that was, you know, really, really competitive and one that you'd think logically would be signed. And of course, as we know, that can just kind of got kicked and kicked and kicked. And Kalen kept saying that he didn't want it to be a distraction while they were preparing for bowl games, which you could argue was even more of a distraction when you're not signing it as you're preparing for bowl games, but that's what he continued to say. So 
you know, I think you can certainly look at, at the facts of all of those things and, and uh, the timing of that and the relationship with Jimmy Sexton and probably infer that something was happening there. I don't think we know the full extent of it, and we may not know. But, uh, you know, uh, Troy Dannon, uh, the athletic director at Washington, said pretty clearly um, that he felt some pause and thought something was up as early as Thanksgiving. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's uh, there's no business like show business. Mike Varell, Seattle Times, is with us here. The uh, the holdover players, the Washington players, obviously portal becomes a problem when a coach leaves. How confident is Washington that they can retain some of those players? Or, you, you know, do you sort of see it as a wash with fish bringing guys from Arizona? I don't know. I don't know what, what that's going to look like. I mean, there, there's been a, a flood of UW guys going on the portal at this point. I think even today, talking to Jed Fish, you know, after his presser, we, we did a little, you know, uh, separate uh, breakaway interview with him, and, and he was still getting a grasp on what this roster looks like and, and who are the guys in the, in the portal, how important are those guys, and what are the chances of retaining them. So he's, you know, I think today was going to be him diving into his personnel staff and trying to really understand what he has and what he doesn't have and who could be leaving and who, who he could get back. So, you know, that's the first thing that he has to solve is just understanding what his roster looks like. And then of course, with all of the, uh, with all of the changes going on in Arizona, um, then you're understanding who's going to jump into the portal and, and what your odds might be of getting some of those guys. So there's a lot happening. And, and as you know, when, the, when the, the portal window is not widely open right now, there's not a huge opportunity to add guys outside of one, retaining Washington's players, and, and two, maybe getting some guys from, from a place like Arizona. The Alabama thing, you know, this is a little off topic, but how do you think DeBoer does at Alabama? Uh, I think I think he'll do very well. I think um, you know he went there to a place where you have all of the resources you could possibly have in the world, and I think if it doesn't work, it probably doesn't work because there's so much else there um, that is stopping him from you know embedding that culture that he has embedded so successfully at, at several different places. But you know he's got the staff that he wants. He's been able to get bring some some really proven coaches on the defensive side. He's been able to bring Grub. And it pretty much his entire offensive staff uh, with him. He's a guy who who understands how to build culture and to build a foundation and how and how to score points. So, I think on its face he should do very well there. Uh, the question is, you know, can he win recruiting battles um, against the best teams in college football, against the Georgias and, and the Florida States and everyone in the South and everywhere else? And then, you know, you know, will they let him win? Will they let him uh, create the culture and, and grow that the way that he wants to? I think. There's no way to answer that, that at this point, but we'll see how that goes. Mike Farrell, Seattle Times, with us. Uh, you know, I wondered about the new athletic director coming in, now a new head football coach. So much has changed in a short period of time. What does that do to Montlake Futures? What does it do to the collective, the fan base? Um, does that motivate them, or, or, or are you seeing some apathy? What do you think? What do you think the impact of that change is? I think it really really could go either way. And that was my first question to Jed Fish today was kind of what is your message to a fan base that has seen three head coaches in five years and just feels like we just don't want to keep starting over. I mean, from a recruiting standpoint, I think Washington was just getting to the place where we felt like, okay, Kalen DeBoer was going to enter year three recruiting high school kids and really felt like he had a foundation in states, you know, on the West Coast and could really start to reap those rewards. And then you just start all over again. And, and in terms of the fan base, do you want to keep committing to 
NIL to season tickets to all of those things when the identity keeps shifting and you keep feeling like you're starting from scratch. I think it's going to be interesting. You know, either it could be a call to action for those fans to really engage and to really give Jed Fish a fighting chance, or it could be the opposite. Um, and if there is that apathy there, if fans give up, if some lose their enthusiasm, then you have a hard time fighting for recruits and it all goes downhill from there. So I think that's going to be one of his big challenge is really trying to activate a fan base that could feel jilted um, and could feel apathetic after having his heart broken a couple different times. Yeah, and I think the fan base probably would never you know, trade away the idea of, hey, you want to play for a national title, but you're going to lose your coach. They would probably take that equation the move to the Big Ten Conference, um, you know, I know Oregon and Washington were planning on de- competing right away. How does the departure of DeBoer, the arrival of Fish, how does that change kind of expectations in your mind for next season? I think it, I mean, I think it changes tremendously where, you know, Kalen DeBoer, you know, when he was in the end of his stint here, um, you could see what he was doing. You could see the roster management where obviously they were losing guys, but it made sense, the, the kinds of additions that they were making, where they were adding via the transfer portal, adding a quarterback in Will Rogers, adding a, you know, an offensive tackle and drew as a party to fill a gap there, a defensive tackle that they liked in, in a tight end. And everything just made sense from a roster management standpoint. And now all of a sudden you lose a ton of guys in the portal and a couple of freshmen who you're really excited about back off from their commitment. And right now they have, it's hard to know exactly how many scholarship players they have because the portal can be kind of sketchy and, some guys have gone into the portal and then I've withdrawn their names, but they might have like 64 guys right now. Uh, when you typically have 85 guys on scholarship, it's hard to imagine how they're going to have a full enthusiastic, um, a productive spring practice with the kind of numbers that they have right now, because you're just so limited in being able to go after guys from the transfer portal when the window is closed. So uh, there are some very unique challenges at Washington right now to be able to turn that around and to, to develop systems and to teach and to win games this fall. So, you know, it, uh, you could see the pathway to success for Kalen DeBoer and crew in year three, and it's hard to see right now uh, how Jed Fish is going to approach this. But obviously he's a proven coach and he'll have a plan, but it's not going to be easy. Now, Jed Fish talked a little bit about his assistant coach salary pool. That caught your attention. Why did that get your attention? Yeah, I mean, it's been – it's been a conversation for years and years here about, you know, what does the, the numbers look like in terms of the salary pool? Can you uh, hire the best and can you retain the best? And he pretty much said flatly today that one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest selling points for him to come here was that he felt like he was given the resources in their salary pool to hire anyone he wants from an assistant standpoint. He, he said point blank, if there's someone that we really want, uh, money will not be a factor in getting or not getting that person in terms of an assistant coach. So we'll see. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about his staff is it looks like he's going to be bringing most of his offensive staff with him, which many do, but, but he might be starting pretty much from scratch defensively. He might keep a William N inge or a Chuck Morrell from the existing staff, but he's really got to build up that defensive staff and, and how he'll go about that will be very interesting, but it sounds like money will not be a factor um, and that is one thing that, that should make fans optimistic about their ability to build it from the ground up. Yeah, his contract, I'm getting a look at it, you know, an average of uh, better than $7.5 million over the life of the contract, about $53, million, $54 in total salary. Um, how much patience will will the athletic director and the fan base have with Jed Fish if he, if, you know, if he wobbles a little out of the gates? 
I think there has to be some. And I, I think the way that he spoke today um, sounded like a guy who had faith that there was going to be some wiggle room there and that there was going to be some understanding that you're losing, you know, possible, possibly eight guys or nine guys who might be drafted. You know, Washington might have the most draft picks of any school in the country this year. And then you've got other guys who are going to the portal. So he's got an awfully big undertaking to remake this roster. And I think it cannot be approached from the standpoint of, oh, this team went to the national championship game last year. Uh, a team went to the national championship game last year. It wasn't this team because this is a different team. So uh, I think there is that understanding. And I think there will be enough of that, uh, enough of that wiggle room for him to be able to build the way that he wants to. Yeah, and I think, you know, I keep thinking about, you know, what he does ultimately. And I think Jed Fish, in the end, I keep seeing him in the NFL. I don't think he leaves Washington for another college job if it goes well. I think he leaves to the NFL. And I think in today's world, Washington's fan base is probably okay with that. And, you know, losing a guy to to Alabama, did that help at all? I mean, is it better? Like, did Washington's fans, are they okay losing a coach to Alabama knowing it's Alabama? They're not okay losing a coach, and they're and just in general, and they're not okay losing a coach in these circumstances. And I feel like, you know, some of the stuff that I touched on, I think the fan base felt pretty deeply, and that they thought that there was a connection with Kalen DeBoer, with wanting to build this thing, with feeling like he was a guy who was going to be entrenched here, who had his daughter, who's going to play softball here, and may still play softball here. I think that's kind of up in the air, but just feeling like this was their guy. And I feel like, yes, it's Alabama. Yes, it makes sense, but. Uh, it hurt and it cut deep uh, for this fan base. And I think from the Jetfish standpoint, a lot of people tie him to Florida potentially. But the thing you have to remember is Florida is only hiring Jetfish, who's an alum, if he kills it at Washington. He has to kill it at Washington before he would go to Florida, before he got that kind of opportunity. So I don't know if I would call that a win-win per se, but the wins have to come at Washington before Jetfish could even entertain going somewhere else uh, on the collegiate level. So we'll see. Um, if he can knock out that first part for, uh, first before he goes to, you know, possibly debating going somewhere else. All right, give me an idea. The expectations for next season, if DeBoer had stayed, are they different with Fish in now? I mean, is there a little bit of a wiggle room for him? Or, you know, given that Penix Jr. is out the door, you know, were people already going, hey, it's going to be okay if, if Washington wins nine games in the Big Ten? How different are those expectations? I think they're pretty different. I think, you know, given what DeBoer was building and the improvements that he had made in the transfer portal and addressing some of their issues, I felt like this was a team that could go into the Big Ten and certainly, you know, compete to win nine or ten games. I, th- I thought that was fair. And now when you look at what Jed Fish has to work with, he might get some of these guys back from the portal who are sort of testing the waters, seeing what it looks like, and, and a number of those guys could come back. But as I said, I haven't seen many situations where you're going into a spring potentially, and right now you're in January and you have 64 scholarship players. Uh, that is alarming. That's that's almost like a Dion situation in terms right. of what they might have to do here to fix that. So it's going to be a completely different team. I think right now if they are a bowl team next year, if they win eight games, if they go eight and four, that that's a successful season for Jed Fish. I, I don't I don't think you talk about competing for a Big Ten championship. I think you talk about being competitive in the Big Ten, winning some Big Ten football games. If you go eight and four, that is seen as as a solid uh, first step, you know, in a larger journey. And I, I think that's kind of how he couched it as well. They're not they're not talking about championships um, 
right now, right this instant. I think they're talking about winning games and building their roster and building something that they can sustain for years to come. Is Pete Carroll part of the staff? I know Fish and Carroll are close. He's not technically part of the staff. He was there today, so, you know, he, he's around. Obviously, Brendan Carroll is, is going to be the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach more than likely. That's what he was at Arizona. So uh, Jed Fish did say that, that Pete is a friend and a mentor, and he looks forward to him continuing to be a mentor and being close to the program. So I don't think that's in an official capacity, but he is someone to have around, and, and that can't hurt in a, from a recruiting standpoint as well. All right, Mike, uh, I really appreciate the work you're doing. It's uh, It's been a journey for the uh, national championship game and now a coaching search and now a roster building. And, uh, you know, I just make sure you hydrate. <laughs> I'll do my best. It's been a long couple of weeks. It feels like when I saw you at the national championship game was about three years ago. So it's I know. Fun. I know. There it is. All right, Mike, take care, man. Thank you. There's Mike Varell, Seattle Times. Um, you know, he was Seattle Times guys were sitting right in front of me, as was uh, our friend um, – who covers uh, the team, Christian Capel, who covers the team uh, on Montlake.com. They were sitting right in front of me in press row at the college football playoff national championship game. So I got a chance to visit with them. I talked to Adam Jude. I talked to Christian Capel. I talked to Mike Varell. And we're sort of talking about what the expectations for DeBoer were going to be in a year. And we were, you know, would DeBoer go to the NFL was the question. And then Nick Saban retires. DeBoer goes to Alabama. And Jed Fish goes to Washington, and here comes Brent Brennan from San Jose State to Arizona. I mean, the trickle-down effect ends up with your local high school coach jumping to another school. I mean, that there's just a domino effect to all of this in coaching that just trickles down and down and down and down until everybody's impacted by it. Anna's going to pop into the studio. I still want to know what's going on in your neighborhood as it pertains to the weather freezing pipes freezing rain bad traffic is your power out is your power back on we had a little flicker here at the house uh you know i'm not gonna say i was happy about it but there was a part of me that was like oh i might get to put that generator on no i'm just saying i want to know what's going on in your household 503-417-7575 we had a little flicker of the power over here at uh studio a the Bald Face Truth Radio Studios. We're still on air, though, as far as I know. I haven't had to fire up the generator. Um, Anna has popped into the studio. Anna, we got people out there who uh, have not had power and have not had water and uh, are um, a little bit concerned. Also, people driving around, freezing rain. We got some rain reports, some weather reports from some folks who were out there. We uh, would love for people to call back in. If it's safe to call back in at 503-417-7575, tell us what you see and how it is where you are. Anna, what happened with the power? Um, You know, it's flickered on and off for the last three or four days, but we've been fortunate so far. Today, it definitely was uh, questionable. Like you got a little flicker? Got a little Did the kids get into Jericho protocol or were they uh, were they kind of looking around like, hey, my iPad needs to be charged? Have you explained what Jericho protocol I have. is? I okay. have. Because somebody who doesn't know that might not know what you're talking about. Yeah. I thought you also alternated the Jericho protocol with Ringo. No, no, Ringo's something different. Ringo okay. related to your 77 year old father. 
You don't remember this. (laughs) Your father stays in a room in the house that skews cold and has big windows. And my concern with him was overnight when the temperatures got down into the low teens that he was going to end up like Ted Williams, the (laughs) splendid popsicle. (laughs) and that he was going to be frozen. And so I said, if your dad ends up frozen solid, I'll yell, Ringo, Ringo, you start running a hot bath. That's the difference. you got to know the protocols. It concerns me that you don't know the difference, Yeah. and I've explicitly explained it. I don't think anybody in this household listens to me. I Obviously, I don't. I asked, I asked said to the 9-year-old today, how was school? She said, good. Walked right by me. There's no school. Oh, just it's just a trained response. I mean, I don't know. I I just feel fortunate that we've had power and water so far because I know a lot of people have had a rough go of it in the last few days. Like literally like 20 degrees, 25 degrees maybe inside their homes. So I I know that's been hard. And I noticed uh, you went out to the grocery store and you bought water. What's going on? You're concerned about the water. No, I guess there was a water main break in the city, and it and like I noticed this morning, our water pressure was really bad. So I was like, "Wait, what's going on?" And we would drip in the faucets, you know, like we're supposed to, so the pipes don't freeze. But it turns out there was a water main break. Now we have a boil water notice. I, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So as uh, Stephen, you had any of this going on at your household? Is anybody hoarding water? <laughs> or worried about the flickering lights, or is it just kind of business as usual? You know, for us, it's business as usual. Um, I will say, Coach Vaughn, she she would get you know a little nervous anytime a light flickers or anything, just because the last time, I mean, she really melted down. But uh, besides that, no, we're, we're we're doing okay, pretty uh, pretty normal over at the Vaughn household. Well, I'm hoping you you know, are you have any concerns about getting home or any of that? Or I know uh, Judah Newby's talking about staying in a in a hotel tonight, but what about you? Yeah, nothing, uh, no concern for me. I'll make my way home and, uh, you know, just call it a day. I just, you know, my dad, he's from Illinois, John, so he taught me how to drive in the snow and the ice, so I'm not yeah. too worried about it. Um, yes. But, you know, it, it's always it's always a risk, but I, I, it, was pretty, it was pretty smooth drive coming in, I thought, so I think I'll be all right. There's a little bit of that going around. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you are somebody who didn't grow up in the Pacific Northwest or you've lived somewhere else, and you're looking around and you're going, these people don't know how to drive. They don't know what they do. They canceled the schools after an inch of snow. And I want you to call in and tell us what you see going on. 503-417-7575. I know I lived in the Midwest for a year. Okay. I went out. I covered basketball and football. I was driving around the Midwest. I realized when I got there the first time it snowed, I didn't know what I was doing. These people all just went into protocol. <laughs> And they were, like, shoveling snow, and they, they had equipment I didn't have. They had these little key things that they would stick in the keyhole of their car to keep it from freezing. I didn't even know that existed. I didn't even know that was a thing. I felt like I was at a Willy Wonka factory for cars. It was like, what do you have? How do you do that? And that's why my lock won't turn? Like, there were just things I didn't know. And included in it was, like, you would see somebody driving, like, a Toyota Tercel. Mm-hmm. And just driving awesome in the snow. (laughs) And then, you know, you didn't have to have like a four-wheel drive to know what you were doing. You just needed to be from Ohio or Indiana to know what you were doing. And your dad has that, Steve, and he has that gene. Yeah, I I drive a Toyota Camry, so I, uh, you know, I'm not not a big trek or anything. But, uh, yeah, he he taught me how to do it. And it it was very useful, you know, growing up because... 
you know, I'd have you know basketball practice or something, and it'd be snowy out, and I'd have to get out there, you know, to Clackamas Community College. I got to drive up the big hills and stuff, and I had to make it. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm very comfortable, very comfortable with myself in the snow and the ice. So, uh, I feel really good about it. And if you don't know how to drive in snow, you should be home. And that's okay it's too. It's okay if you don't know how. It's it's like if you don't know how to swim, you don't just jump into the pool. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. you, you, it's okay to sit on the side of the pool. Get some sun. Which is what I do. I'm not a strong swimmer. I don't, don't just jump into the water. Yeah, you know? Like, yeah, but some people don't have a choice. Like, they have to get to their jobs. Their jobs are not are open, and they're trying to get to their place of employment. But I kind of feel like they're, we have YouTube. Like, if, you have, if you're not a good <laughs> stro- snow driver, like, it's probably on YouTube. Okay. Here's something that a piece of advice somebody gave me in the Midwest. Okay, I was find myself. I was driving between all these midwestern towns. I was driving on a lot of icy roads, a lot of interstates, and somebody told me when you know when you're out there and you're on the freeway, if the car, because sometimes you hit black ice, you hit ice, your car starts to slide. Yeah. If the car starts to do something that you don't want it to do, don't just react by turning your wheel and slamming on the brakes. It's because that's your instinct. Yeah, you slam on pump, the brakes. You turn pump your pump the brakes. No, you got just gentle. Uh huh. Do everything like there's an egg underneath the pedals of your car, mm-hmm. and you don't want to break it. Yeah. Your acceleration should be soft. Your braking should be soft. Nothing sudden. No sudden movements. Okay. <laughs> and um, and it worked. And and I'll tell you, like I had a couple of dicey situations where I was on the freeway, and one time, and my I lost control. Yeah. I was in the middle lane of a three lane freeway, and all of a sudden, I realized my car started to kind of fishtail. And then it went into a full-blown 360 Oof. on the freeway going about 45 miles an hour. I wasn't, oh, I wasn't going crazy. Yeah. But I do, I'm do. i doing a 360. I was very calm. It was like a movie. Everything was moving really slow. And I, and I just kind of watched the car do a 360. And then it kind of fishtailed back into you know <laughs> My momentum carried me and nothing happened. I just continued on. Oh, my gosh. Like, I'm sure some trucker driving behind me was like, look at this guy. <laughs> Doing a 360 on the freeway. Pretty damn good. But, like, I wasn't worried. I was like, I'm going to be okay. Car's going to eventually slow down. There's nobody around me. I wasn't going to hit anybody. Just got to, you know, kind of gently go through this. Um, I also think, um, for those of you out there, if you don't need to be out, you shouldn't be out right now. If you're not, if you're on the road and you're just like, oh, I could do this tomorrow or I could do this Friday, do it tomorrow or Friday. The thing that gets me is there's like people that are just out for like a winter wonderland stroll. And like, that's great if you need to get out and get some fresh air. But it, it kind of freaks me out because they're like walking on really busy arterial roads. And you're basically saying, I trust every driver that is going by me to be responsible and not crash into me and be out of control. Like, I, I don't know why. I have, like, anxiety when I'm seeing, like, pedestrians just right adjacent to, you know, lots of traffic in in icy conditions yeah, you're, like this. Yeah, and, you're, and a lot of them are walking with those poles, like they're, <laughs> like, like they're Lewis and Clark, <laughs> and they're, like, cross-country snowshoeing, you know, and they've got these two poles in their hand, and I'm always like, what are you doing? But, yeah, you're right. They're walking, like, two feet off the road. And they're walking leisurely, and I'm going, hey, I'm barely in control over here, but you don't know it. I know. Kind of a problem. Terrifies me. I'm having a problem here. 
But, uh, yeah, be safe out there. You shouldn't be out there meandering around unless you really need to be out there meandering around. All right? I want that in your head. All right? Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. I don't really think we got snow. We got ice. Will we get snow? Are we supposed to get snow, Anna? Mm, looks like we're getting freezing rain. You're the news person. Why? You can't get mm like, you're supposed to know this well, stuff. Well, I got reports from uh, Coach Vaughn that it was dumping rain at our house in Milwaukee. Dump- and, and it's freezing, freezing rain. Yeah, freezing contact. rain. Yes, freezing rain. Not oh. snow. Not snow. This is no good, then, for anybody. Kids aren't going to be happy. Adults aren't going to be happy. There's <laughs> no winter. Yeah, now we're stuck at home with the kids. There's no winter. <laughs> but how about that? Like, Ain't that the truth? I asked the seven-year-old and the nine-year-old, who neither one went to school today because it's canceled. I said, how was school? They were hearing their iPads. They walked by. First one said good. The second one said fine. <laughs> at least they answered you. I talk to my kids when they're on the iPad. They don't even respond to me. I have to yell at them. I say, hey, I asked you a question. Ask your kids if they had canceled school today how school was and tell me what they said. Tell what, me yeah, the answer. What's, what's better, that they respond or that they don't respond? I say responding is better, even if it's not the right answer. <laughs> Just take the devices away. Oh, who does that punish? Adults. Anna, you're, Anna's doing normal stuff. Like she's acting like nothing's going on earlier today. She's over at the dog park with the dog. How yeah. did the? What did the dog think of the dog park? Oh, like, dog loves it. Dog, really? Dog loves it. Dog is ice skating. And you know what? I love it because it's not muddy. It's icy. So it's the dog is <laughs> not cleaner. a wreck when we come home. Yeah. Are the normal dog park people there? Oh no, no, no. It's sparsely attended. Yeah, so it's kind of good that way. Yeah. No, the kids, I mean, the thing is, our kids, as long as you gear them up properly, they will go out and they will play with whatever is out there. If it's ice, they're like breaking up chunks of ice and carrying around glaciers. Some kid on the football field had a uh, remote control car. Nice. And our seven-year-old basically spent an hour chasing his remote control car like a not very bright child. You know, it's great. All right. You had you had your fun. Yeah. Uh, Jed Fish, the Washington coach, is being called a snake and disloyal by fans at Arizona because he had preached commitment. I'm in this for the long haul, not going anywhere. I want to be here. And now he's being introduced today as the University of Washington coach. He is asked by a reporter, you know, about that. Kalen DeBoer leaves for Alabama. You leave Arizona for Washington. Can you commit to staying to Washington? Jed Fish did not say yes, did not say no. He said this. Right. Well, I think that that's always a problem, right? You can't be right. You can't be wrong. Whatever you say. I know that that comment's always going to be made. Is it a destination job? Uh, I would answer it this way. The Big Ten, the SEC, right now is who's leading the football pathways. The college football landscape is about getting to the CFP. There's 12 teams that are going to compete every year starting next year in the college football playoffs. Um, If you look at what teams traditionally compete, it's about the same 12 or 14 teams. University of Washington is one of those 12 or 14 teams. Uh, That's why we coach. We coach to be able to take a seat at that table and to be able to give yourself a chance every single year with resources uh, beyond belief, with an opportunity to go out there with a fan base that's dying to continue to win, that have won national championships. And the idea of staying is why you come. The idea of being here is to win championships. 
And that's all I can promise, that we're going to be here every single day doing everything we can to win a championship, knowing that Washington has the opportunity to do that every year. What's he saying? Kind of talked me into a that, circle. I, I'm so confused. That was a lot of word salad. I think he doesn't want to paint himself into a corner where he says, this is my forever job because he knows it's not. Okay. But he's also really grateful and he's trying to be careful. I think his larger point is, hey, I'm at a school that has a chance to win. That's why I'm here. I mean, it's a sentence. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we got a chance to win. This yeah. is good for me. He prettied that up with a lot of other fancy words. Yeah. But what is it disloyal? Is a coach a snake if he leaves a school? Aren't we past that? Are, are, I mean, aren't we? Are, can't we all accept at this point that, like, coaches leaving is just part of the business now? And it's usually never pretty. It's like it's only nice if they're retiring. And the transition is just never easy because of the nature of recruiting and, and the secrecy behind it where they're basically leaving in the, in the dead of night. I think um, people feel jilted at Washington by DeBoer. Mm-hmm. I think people feel jilted at Arizona by Jed Fish. I don't think San Jose State fans are going to blame Brent Brennan for leaving them for Arizona because I think they go, eh, yeah. it's, it's kind of sucky here. You know, we don't have a good state. They have a half a stadium. Well, you know? and they understand it's upward mobility. Like, how can you fault somebody for going and chasing more, like, a higher-profile job? Do you think Oregon but, State fans to, yeah. get upset that uh, they didn't hire Brent Brennan instead of Trent Bray now that he goes to Arizona in the Big 12? They could have hired him. He was he applied. He came in second to the Trent, to Trent Bray. I think it's going to be an interesting comparison. I, I actually think Brent Brennan has a better job right now because he's in the Big 12. Um, Oregon State would bristle at that, probably argue back, you know, but I mean, I think he's in the Big 12. And I think it, it, if you're Brent Brennan, I think he got the better of the two jobs, but let's see what they do with him. If Trent Bray wins, I don't think so. But if Trent Bray struggles, it's going to be natural for Oregon State fans to rubberneck and look over at Arizona and go, hey, um, what happened there? Um, a lot of Oregon State fans felt jilted by Jonathan Smith. And a lot of Oregon fans were nervous when, you know, it was Dan Lanning leaving to Alabama. I think they were particularly annoyed at Oregon State when the news came out about Jonathan Smith's beaver gear being almost immediately donated at Goodwill. I mean, that was like too soon, buddy. Like, really? Yeah. yeah that, was that what was that? Forty-eight hours later, it, the it, stuff was I, dropped. Off I actually kind of admire it. I admire really? it in a weird way. It's kind of cold. It is cold. And I wouldn't have done it if I were him, but I also am looking at piles of stuff I should be taking to Goodwill, <laughs> and I'm going, you know what? I'm that just, guy doesn't mess around. I'm going to Marie Kondo that shit. Yeah. That stuff. Sorry. Um, so, but you ask a valid question uh, as far as people and coaches. Should we attach this much emotion when a coach is either at jeopardy of leaving or leaps the way that they do or should we just be detached from it now i i think that it's part of the problem right now in college sports is because i think people are already detaching emotionally because they're they're afraid to get attached to players and then they see players jump in the portal after a year and now they're seeing coaches do it and coaches are doing it you know and chasing the money and i think it really does threaten kind of the fabric of college athletics and how different college sports felt from the pros it wasn't all about money in college and now it is. It's all about money. It's, you know, like Kyle Smith coming up later in the show. He lost player to the NBA, player to Villanova, player to um, USC. DJ Rodman goes to USC. 
Kyle Smith's going to join us. I'm going to ask him about this because he told me, I talked to him a couple days ago for a column I wrote at johnconzano.com, and he told me, he said, you know, once money gets involved, it's about money. You know, if money's involved, it's about money. And clearly money is involved here, and I think most fans, if they were given the opportunity to go to a higher-profile job and make more money, most fans would take the money and the job. But they have a hard time accepting that the coaches are going to do it. I think part of what makes it so hard is that the universities and the marketing that they do around the coaches now has kicked into a whole nother level. Like how many videos did we see featuring Dan Lanning in almost this heroic role in the football season as coach? Like these were well-crafted emotional pieces that are meant to, you know, get every fan of Oregon to basically fall in love with him and feel very attached to him. Like he's our guy. Yeah. He's our leader. And I think it's aggravated by all of that. It's in Chip Kelly we trust. And then, never mind, in Willie Taggart we trust. Oh, never mind, in Mario Cristobal we trust. And then pretty soon you're going, eh, I don't know if I'm willing to emotionally get involved with this anymore. It, because you've been jerked around so many times. Fans have been, they have whiplash. And especially mm-hmm. the Washington fan, like, you know, look, I know Oregon fans don't want to, kind of acknowledge this, but Oregon's been through some of this. Chip Kelly had some success and then left for the NFL. And Mario Cristobal had some success and then left. Dan Lanning's now had some success. It's why Oregon fans are fearful and they're going, hey, we got a $20 million buyout on this guy. Like, we've got some uh, we got some leverage on this guy. But, you know, Washington went to a national championship game on Monday and on Wednesday <laughs> they lost their coach. Essentially, by Thursday he was gone, gone. And when the reality is, is that the machinations for that to actually occur started long before Monday, Tuesday, or oh, Wednesday. Oh, it started months ago. Right? He hires Jimmy Sexton as his agent before Thanksgiving. So it, he knew Nick Saban was going. And he knew, if only I can keep this going, I have a shot to get this job at Alabama. It was all kind of orchestrated. And that's the dirty secret. His fans want to be like, that's our guy. That's our guy. Jonathan Smith's our guy. Dan Lanning's our guy. Willie Taggart's our guy. Mario Cristobal's our guy. In Chip, I trust. And then in the end, you realize, you know, the only certainty is that the fan on your left and the fan on your right at the stadium who's been a season ticket holder for 28 years, that guy's going to be there. Okay? That guy that parks in the parking lot, has the space down the way from you, your neighbor who has the flag out in the front of their house and hanging the flag of Washington or Oregon State or Oregon, Washington State, they're going to be there. Nothing else is certain. Players aren't going to be there. You're going to outlast the coaches. You're probably outlasting multiple ADs. And in the end, it's the fan base that gets left holding the bag. Because why? Because fans are buying tickets and dis- and investing their disposable income and divest- investing their emotion, mm-hmm. rooting for the teams and living and dying with the losses. And they're like, well, that coach didn't care about it as much as I did. He left. <laughs> he just changed laundry. You know, he dropped at Goodwill. He picked up uh, at his new job. He's wearing different colors now, and I was bleeding for that guy. So I think fans, I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. Tell me, you know, has it, has it changed the way you root? Your emotional investment, what you see today happening with coaches. The 5 at 5 and that's still ahead. I hope you're staying warm and toasty. I hope you've got clean water to drink. 
I hope you're settled in and uh, have everything you need. If you don't, I hope you have somebody that you can call. And in fact, if you're out there and you have a neighbor who's elderly or a family member who isn't able to maybe uh, get all of those things done, not a bad idea to check on people with this stuff going on. Just make sure everybody has everything they need. Just saying that as a public service announcement. Anna's going to do the 5 at 5. Kyle Smith, Washington State men's basketball coach, coming up at 524. Man, they're on a tear. They beat Arizona and USC last week. Jerry Palm, CBS Sports Bracketology, has them in the first four out. So they're in the top 72, trying to punch their way into the top 68. Cam is in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Cam, what is going on? You've been displaced? What's happening? Well, I'm no longer Cam and Eugene, John. Thanks for taking the call for the uh, foreseeable future. I am now going to be Cam at his mother-in-law's house. Uh-oh. I live I live just outside of Springfield. Used to live inside Eugene, but live just outside of Springfield now in the Mohawk Valley. They lost uh, power regionally. The big, the big steel lines and the big steel towers that come in over the farmland that bring power to the substation. Power is actually out there, and so we are out of power. Um, until sometime next week at the earliest, unfortunately. Oh, man, uh, how, how's that going right now for you? It, it's okay. I actually called to talk about, you asked about how the coaching carousel has affected us as fans. Okay. I want to um, know, know first, though, how's it going with mom-in-law? Is she within earshot right now? Oh, she... she's fine. It's a it's a running joke. I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law. She's a saint. It's just funny, and guys can relate, right? Nobody likes to be at their mother-in-law's. So it's really? just kind of funny. It's, we're very lucky for having no water, no heat, uh, you know, and no electricity and, and no end in sight. We're doing pretty good. If she's, so no in front of, and she's in front of you, I want you to say Jumanji. Jumanji? She wouldn't know what that is. <laughs> what do you what's on your mind with the coaching carousel you know it's made college it's one of the things and it's we've talked about so many things over the last year that have made college football less enjoyable to watch this has been a much slower burn for me mike Bellotti was like magic he was always going to be there and he always had the answer and you know uh, he always had something cooking and then he passed the baton on to chip kelly and it was like you said and chip we trust and then we went out on blind faith with Helfrich because we were told he was the guy, and he was until he wasn't. Taggart comes along, he's gone. Cristobal comes along, he's gone. And now I catch myself. I want to go all in on Dan Lanning. I want to feel like him the way I felt about Bilotti, and I see some similarities there. But the thing is, is I catch myself hanging back because I have to look at the other side of the coin. He's had double-digit wins in two seasons, top 10 recruiting classes, and won one of the big bowl games, January 1st bowl games after two years. That's great. But Mario Cristobal did that too, and he inherited more of a rebuild than Dan Lanning is. And he's about to get fired next year at Miami. And so it's really made me reluctant. I want to go all in, but I keep – waiting and you know is, is he really the guy or is it going to go south and and what about him makes him Dan Lanning I'm talking about I love the guy personally as from what I've seen but uh of who he is as a human being but in terms of a coach what does he bring that's truly value added if Mario Cristobal can do that and fall apart you know yeah 
And that's so that that kind of wait and see approach. I, I keep finding myself I'm waiting when I should be enjoying. Yeah, that I think sense. that. Yeah, it makes total sense. All right, make sure that you do something nice for your mother-in-law for letting you crash at her place. And I hope you get your power back and and back in your place soon enough. You got it. Stay safe out there. All right, there he is, Cam, at his mother-in-law's. Uh, Anna, I love your mom, but I love her at a distance. <laughs> Can I say that? Yes. I love her. She listens to the show sometimes. I know I love her. Uh-huh. Uh, I think there's just a I could do like I could do like a day or uh-huh. two. Yeah. Day or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I might have to you know, we might have to find other accommodations. Can be can get difficult. It gets tricky. But I, I'm torn because here's this person who played such a you know influential instrumental life you know role in your life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm kind of going, eh, you know, like love you. The funny thing is, she's one of those people that tells everyone how easy she is. You know, I'm that's easy. the marker. That's I'm, the marker of a difficult person. <laughs> oh, I love her. You know, if somebody is uh, <laughs> if somebody <laughs> is difficult, that's the first thing they usually say. I'm so easy. <laughs> All right, speaking of. Let's go to the five at five. The five at five. Anna comes up with the five best stories, most interesting stories of the day. Where is she going to start? Number one. Well, I feel like we have to talk about Jason Kelsey because it's been rumored uh, lately. But Adam Schefter with ESPN is saying that uh, the Philadelphia Eagles Center told his teammates in Monday night's post-game locker room that he is, in fact, retiring. Done. Do you think it has to do with the tush push? No. (laughs) I think it has to do with the fact that he's played for a long while, they won a Super Bowl, and he knows how hard it is to get there. The Eagles just, they fell apart this year. And I think, you know, he was was emotional on the sideline. His wife was emotional in the stands. You kind of just, it had that feel to it. But you know what? I kind of also, I got to say this. I was getting tired of the Kelseys. Mm. They're everywhere. Okay. They're podcasts everywhere. The Taylor Swift thing, I'm on board with it. <laughs> I believe it's love, but do I need to see it all the time? I don't think so. If you weren't going to say it, I was going to say it. Kelseys can go away from me. But don't you think a lot of it, maybe a reason I do with it also is the uh, success of their podcast, and now it's like, hey, I can make all this money and not have to bang my head every play? Mm. Yeah, I don't think they're going away, John. But I also think he... Has had a, he's 36 years old. He's had a great career. Future Hall of Famer, probably. Um, became emotional at the end of the game. You know, he went found his fit. You know, not everybody gets to win a Super Bowl. You mm-hmm. know, he gets... He's had a good run. And... Um, well, and leave before you're seriously injured. Right? Yeah. Right. He got out 13 seasons a long time to play. Number two. Uh, I find this story fascinating. Jim Harbaugh is seeking termination protection. Yep, you heard right. In a potential new contract, he is requesting wording that would protect him from being fired as a result of the NCAA investigations into the cheating. Well, I think he's looking for a security that few would get. I also think it's interesting that this story got leaked. Who leaked this story? 
Yeah. Michigan leaked this story. Why? Why did Michigan leak this story? It behooves them. Because, well, I mean, like in the yeah. meantime, he's off interviewing for NFL jobs. Yeah, because when they lose him to the NFL, they can say to the fan base, look how unreasonable he was being. He was mm-hmm. trying to ask for plausible deniability for something he may have caused. This is totally leaked by the University of Michigan. Completely signals to the rest of us that Jim Harbaugh is going to go to the NFL, and Michigan knows it. Michigan does not leak that part of the negotiation. They're basically saying, look how unreasonable this guy's being. He's asking for the world, and we're not giving it to him. Should they give it to him? I don't think so. It's very, like, want my cake and eat it, too, kind of thing. Like, hey, here I am. I'm interviewing for the Chargers job and other NFL openings. But, by the way, in case this whole NCAA thing results in sanctions, I don't want to be fired over it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And then he'll say, oh, they couldn't give me what I wanted. I'm going to the NFL. It's his way to not have the fans mad at him. Michigan, though, Michigan totally leaked that story. (laughs) There's no way that Harbaugh's side would want that out. Number three. Uh, well, I guess we can kind of relate to this just because it's so cold right now. Um, you know that Chiefs-Dolphins wild card game that was so cold? Turns out 15 fans were hospitalized. <laughs> Dozens were treated for hypothermia symptoms. Uh, the windchill at that game had dipped to minus 30. There was frostbite. There was hypothermia. A total of 70 calls to first responders and half of those were due to health issues caused by dangerously cold temperatures do you think people do you think they should have games in cold weather like that i don't know i think the people that don't have shirts on should be banned that's their fault oh. <laughs> were there people with no shirts on 100 percent. yes there was a yeah. couple that's fans amazing. that they showed no shirt Idiots. no nothing I I saw a news report. You know how, like, TV news stations will do, like, reports, hey, it's going to be really cold, and let's find an angle that nobody's thought about? Yeah. This one guy did a report on why you should bring a piece of cardboard to the game. Cardboard is made of what? Wood and air, because there's air between the uh, layers of the cardboard. Okay. So it's not conductive. So if you're going to be in a really cold place, the news reporter said... Bring a piece of cardboard, and you can sit on it or stand on it, and you will be warmer. Now, I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> okay. Cardboard? <laughs> huh. All right. They should be making the bleachers out of cardboard well, in I, Buffalo. I was talking to my dad about that, and he said they used to not allow fans to bring cardboard in, but they have, uh, since the last couple of years, since they found that out, they, they've, uh, you know, they've, they've worn off on that. They said you can bring your hmm. own cardboard now. I just, I don't like cold weather games like that. I don't like cold weather in general. This is not, I'm not made for this. In this same article, um, there's a quote from a scientist who says that, how do you know you have hypothermia? So he says, shivering is how the body stays warm. Without shivering, Mm. you don't begin to generate heat anymore. And at that point, if someone doesn't come to help you, you're in trouble. It becomes a fatal condition. Yeah. It's not how you want to go. Are we on four or five? We're on five, huh? I don't know. I don't think so. Not that many. All right. Number four. Um, Matthew Stafford's wife, Kelly, says that her children cried. That's news? When the Detroit Lions fans booed her and her husband. So Mm. this was Matthew Stafford in his return to Detroit. 
And the Lions fans were booing their former star any time that they could. Then the wife and children walked out, and they got booed. <laughs> and she's saying, hey, like, I get it. It's sports. The city wants to win. Everything is fair game, except for the fans who booed my children. Were they really booing the children? Are they booing just Stafford in general? You know? That, I kind of, like, I'm like... You're the one who put your kids in that situation. You know what going I mean? Going to Detroit to go yes! see the game. Yeah. It like, is what did weird. you expect was going to happen? Did you yeah. think it was going to be this warm, welcoming? Yeah, back? because when she was there, they probably, people were like, oh, that's Matthew Stafford's wife. You yeah. know, that, and she doesn't understand that they were rooting for the jersey. They weren't rooting yeah. for the people. Yeah. So they've flipped allegiances. I was happy, though, for Lions fans. And I grew up on. The Lions, not as a fan, but watching them from a distance and just going, my gosh, they can't get anything right. Mm-hmm. Andre Ware, Chuck Long, and finally they had Barry Sanders for a blink. He was great. Wayne Fonts, and then it was right back to losing and being terrible. And so I'm happy for the Lions. They are where they are. They deserve it. They waited a long time and happy for them. Sad that this becomes kind of the story out of that game because the story should be, wow, what a great franchise. What a great story. And for the fans of the Lions who have lived and died with that team, mostly died, um, cheers to them. <laughs> Number five. Well, I don't know what your favorite college football player is doing in the offseason, but Shador and Shiloh Sanders uh, just modeled in Paris for the Louis Vuitton Men's 2024 show. This just goes to show. Their life is a little bit different than everyone else's on their team. They're wearing these graphic puffer jackets. Like, they're doing runway walks for Louis Vuitton. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and these is. were pieces that Pharrell designed. How about that? Well, um, good for them. But I also worry, like, it's the same type of worry where, like, you know, I saw Kalen DeBoer was announced as Alabama's coach, and he held a team meeting, and one of the players was off doing an NIL deal for a sports car company that you know, couldn't make the couldn't make the team meeting or whatever. And it's just there's becomes a lack of focus is the best way to put it. And I worry about that with team Sanders in general, the lack of focus. Have you noticed how much quieter coach prime has been? Yeah. Been heard very, nothing he's from been him. very quiet since losing all those games. Mm. I think he kind of like, I think it was an awakening for him a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm keeping receipts. We're 3-0. and Turned into crickets by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think it was a little bit humbling. Probably good. It's probably good for Colorado. I don't know. You tell me if you're a Colorado fan out there. You're tracking that. That's the 5-5. Five at five. Anna got through it without swearing. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Steven, thanks you. I thank Steven for getting on that dump button. Yeah. <laughs> um, coming up, we will talk to Kyle Smith, the Washington State basketball coach. Um, what are, Anna, like, give me an idea. In TV news, you yes. used to go, like, Storm Tracker, Starmageddon, yeah, yeah. Icemageddon, whatever mm-hmm. it's called. Yeah. You know, what was that like for you on the other end of that telecast? standing on a freeway overpass during a snowstorm. Honestly, um, it was fun. 
<laughs> like for me, I rather enjoyed it because I wasn't talking about murder or um, child abuse or some other heinous crime. And it was relatively, um, it was relatively harmless. And it was this universal thing that the whole region could relate to. Because sometimes in news, you can feel like you're telling a story and it only really impacts a very limited number of people. But the thing with weather and extreme weather like this is it's kind of this mentality where it's like, hey, man, we're all in it together. We're all dealing with the icy roads and the power outages and, you know, the potential to not have like drinking water together. And so there's this unifying sense that, you know, as a reporter, that you could really connect with people who are watching you and occasionally bring them information that was of value to them so that they could figure out how to chart out their next 24 to 48 hours. There's always like landmark spots that the news station. The Sylvan Overpass. Okay, let's go through them. That's one. Why? Why the Sylvan Overpass? Um, It's one of those, well, it's high enough in elevation that often it freezes first or there's, you know, snowy participation, precipitation first. There's Council Crest, so anytime we get reports of possibly there being snow, it's always somebody's job to go drive up to Council Crest and see if it's snowing up there. Um, and then there's the gorge. The, now the gorge, the gorge assignment is rough, because that is, I mean, if you're going out to Hood River, if you're at Crown Point, everyone knows that is the windiest and coldest section usually when there's a storm like this. And that's usually reserved for, like, the rookie reporter who doesn't know any better and is just happy to go and get blown about and freeze their tush on. <laughs> How do you come about? up with the names? Like, do you have a big team meeting of, like, we're going to go with Stormageddon this year? <laughs> no. Winter Rush 2018. <laughs> that was never, believe me, the Minions were never consulted on those. Where like, does that come from? Those are That's, like, the news director and the... Marketing teams, there, creative services. I imagine they're, a big like yeah. email, like, "Hey, team meeting today. We're gonna have to come up with a new winter name <laughs> yeah. for the snow coming in." Snowpocalypse, yes. Snowmageddon. I mean, I don't think anybody actually ever calls it Snowmageddon. I mean, we we joke about that, but Snowzilla. <laughs> right. I I actually think there's probably a consulting firm that yet yeah, that they they contract with. Yeah. And the, the news director has to call. And the person on the other end goes, okay, you know, you paid your bill, you've, you're, you're on the, okay, here's what we're doing. We're calling it the blizzard of 2024. Right. Arctic okay. chill, they, Arctic freeze. Yeah. You know, they get off the phone and they're like, you know, this is amazing. Like, we've got the name. And then the, the branding and the marketing people get in on it. But um, the National Weather Service does not recognize names for winter storms. Did you know that? Oh, really? They're not in it. They're in it for the substance. Okay, but, they'll only name okay, not about the clicks. They're not about clicks. Yeah, they're they're about not content. about the clicks over there. But <laughs> substance. Here's, they name hurricanes. Steven, here's the ridiculous thing about the whole like you know weather thing and Anna and the news reporters. Okay, so Anna would be positioned. One time I remember you were put out um, like almost in deep Hillsboro. Hillsboro. Yeah, it was Hillsboro on an overpass. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you were supposed to be live at like five, six, and eleven, mm -hmm. as I recall. Yeah. Well, how do you think Anna got to the overpass? <laughs> Me, driving her through the snow to the overpass, dropping her off, and then saying, I'll be back at 1130 to get you. And, you know, and so then I go home and I'm watching her on TV 
and she's doing her news report, whatever, and all of a sudden these two hunky guys are coming on the TV news bringing her hot chocolate. Oh, Anna's bringing her hot chocolate. I'm like, hey, what about this guy who drove you out there? You're getting a nice hot cocoa with some marshmallows from some nice viewers who are like, poor Anna's on the overpass. Aww. She had to drive all the way out there by herself. It's kind of crap. Alive. That's so Talk nice about it. Them. I'm slogging back going, the real story is, what happens if I don't get back? That's the real story. I'm like the Donner Party. <laughs> you know? That is your seventh Donner Party reference. I'm telling you, growing up in California, that's drilled into your head. I had grandparents in Lake Tahoe, man. Donner Pass, all that. I, You know? Come on. That's in my head. But Anna would be out there. But it, was any of it driven towards ratings? Oh. Meaning the locations. Oh, no. Did they go, hey, mm-hmm. we got to scatter in all locations of our viewing area because we want to capture viewers in Hillsborough and in Beaverton and in, in Tigard and in the Gorge? And that's, do they scatter you guys in that way strategically? I don't think so, um, but I can't say for sure. I know that stations, at least historically, have some awareness of where Nielsen boxes are, and those are the actual devices that register, you know, which station a family, a household is watching. And so maybe that has a little bit of the conversation, but it wasn't really in conversations that I was involved in. Very interesting. I got no cred for driving you out there. No, you these, got cred These for guys me. bringing you hot chocolate. They got all this love on TV. Oh, that's so sweet. There was, nothing, there was nothing wrong with that. It's always <laughs> nice to meet viewers. There you go. Leave it here. Kyle Smith, Washington State men's basketball coach. They've had a hell of a run. They're playing good basketball. They beat Arizona. They beat Bronny and USC. All that happened to him was he lost players to the NBA and the transfer portal, and he reloaded with, you know, frankly, I mean no disrespect, he reloaded in a no-name way, and yet he's getting results. How is he doing it? Kyle Smith, Washington State men's basketball coach, next. Heckwell men's basketball in full swing. It was a really interesting week last week. Washington State upset USC on the road and then played Arizona and beat Arizona at home. Why is that so unusual? Well, Washington State lost players to the NBA, players in the transfer portal. There was a lot of discussion at the end of last season about how how, uh, difficult it was to sort of get any kind of momentum. But Kyle Smith, the head basketball coach at Washington State, has found some momentum and some success. He's joining us now. Coach, i got to ask you, given everything that you have been through, losing players, the portal, NIL, um, total loss of momentum, how did it feel? How did the last week or so feel for you and your team? You know, um, it was great. You know, we had a nice crowd. Um, Kids really enjoyed the moment. Um, I thought we went in with the right attitude. Um, Who knows what? When things kind of clicked for you, but I think we that win at USC was huge, just as far as confidence. And then uh, you know we were in a tight turn, had trouble getting out of getting back home, and we only had one day to prep. But uh, our guys were up for it, and and uh, hopefully it's something we can build on. The you know the the conference obviously is in transition, and football's dealt with it, and now we're kind of looking at basketball. And you went through some stuff. You lost some guys to the NBA. You lost guys in the transfer portal. Uh, I got to admit, I was worried about you, and I was looking, going, okay, they got a guy from Idaho, they got a guy from Sonoma State, they got a JC guy, and you have put that together. Did you see that coming together, or how did that gel for you? 
Um, a little bit. Um, I know it's. We kind of have to look at some. You know, zig when people <laughs> zag when people are zigging, uh, and uh, like knew that uh, like Jalen Wells' productivity at Division Two, and it's just looking on tape, thought that would translate, and I said, well, maybe that offsets Rodman and Bamba. Um, and then I knew Isaac Jones. We recruited him out of high school, and um, thought his offensive production could replace Muhammad, and it has. He's not the same defender. That's quite the same athlete, um, and we'll just kind of replicate the same team as best we can. And we knew we had Miles, and hopefully he was going to be healthy, and he has been. That's been a godsend for us. And uh, you know, uh, and you know, we just kind of have an expectation that we're just kind of you know we have some marks that uh, guys can strive for just what's been done in the program last four years and these guys have been trying to keep up with that pace and hopefully we can maybe improve you know the you know i i hesitate to ask it this way but you know in coaching sometimes you are uh, you're macgyvering it right like you're trying to oh, find yeah. a way but uh, you don't ideally want to do that every year is this do you think this is just what college basketball in this era is going to look like with the portal and the movement or are we looking at something that's in, in transition, or as a coach, how do you see the landscape? You know, um, unfortunately, I think it's it, every program is a little different, and we really worked hard not to put ourselves in a position trying to retain guys, but it's a little out of your control, and the way the the dates are set up, and you know, the NIL thing, and um, immediate eligibility might be as uh, damaging as the NIL, to be honest, because at least there was some incentive to stay or some penalty to leave. Um, but, and I don't like it at all. Um, but it's kind of to, to survive. You have to kind of put your team together in the spring. Uh, and, but some programs are fortunate where they have some older guys and they've stabilized and then their younger guys come in and kind of learn the culture, but they seem to be dwindling. <laughs> there's, a, there's only a handful of those that I could think of that kind of have older guys and kind of, benefited from this, these changes that they kind of had some older guys in, in a program established. Yeah, you had different challenges at different places. You were the head coach at Columbia. Obviously, your time at St. Mary's was probably valuable to you, and then San Francisco and now Washington State. But I think it would have been really easy for the staff or some of the returning players to sit around and feel sorry for themselves, and you guys clearly have not done that. And I just saw Jerry Palm put you guys in the, uh, you know, you're, you're right there on the bubble right now with the tournament. That has to feel really gratifying to you guys. Yeah, you know what uh, it does. I had no idea. <laughs> oh, that's nice. There's just a lot of work left, but it's nice to have this. Uh, this early. this was a good week, obviously, and we're going down. We're trying to get out of town, trying to beat the snowstorm, so we can uh, have our best, put our best foot forward at Stanford, and, and they're really good. They're a really high-powered scoring team, and, and you know, Cal's are much improved. So we got a lot of work to do, but it, it's nice. And I thought I told our team, I said we we have. I thought looked in the room and said the talents, the talents good uh, enough. The experience we don't have, and we got to try to get better quickly. That's the best way. You can't just kind of. You'd love to say, hey, this group's coming back next year. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna learn and this and that, and, and you'll be pretty salty, but you just don't know. And they've done a good job. And like I said, this the last we've improved a lot in the last two weeks, and I think it's just more. Um, confidence mindset, like just the difference between the end of the Colorado game and the end of USC and Arizona is, is night and day, and, and maybe that, that propels us. I saw your, your game against Oregon, and I thought, you know, they're they're good. And obviously teams, you know, they don't want to play you at Pullman, but you win at USC. I mean, that, that was a ro- good road win there. But did you see it coming? Did you see, like, did you think, you hey, we gotta, we're got we going to be in these games? Or, you know, as a coach, well, do, you, do you ever really know? 
yeah. you don't really know, like, especially when you do know when you have some guys that played a lot of minutes. We didn't, I, like I said, I don't know if, and if, if it would happen at all, but I did, I, like, I tried to pull the positive of Utah. We were up six with 15 to go. You know, we played, or maybe more, it might have been like five point game with, it was within reason, and they really extended it out at the end, and you could be really hang your head on that. Uh, but I was like, and then we had a chance to win at Colorado the next game, and I was like, there's positives. That's a, probably the hardest road trip. And we just kind of, and then we came back, and we had won a game in Oregon State. was really, they're good. That was a really tough first half. We were able to win that one. I thought that gave it, all right, we won a Pac-12 game. It's as simple as that, Yeah, I think, helped us. And then, then Oregon, we just didn't. They're really good, but we, we give a 14 threes, which is out of our, you know, and I was like, well, geez, well, are we going to be able to guard the, you know, at SC? And we did a good job there, and maybe that's that's caught on. And, and you know, there's there's a lot of games left, but not that much time. You know, it's like, so hopefully we're just, you know, like Isaac Jones never played against high major teams. And where he was on the road at Colorado and Utah versus what he did this last week is – a big jump. So hopefully he can just, you know, that's what's going to take a little bit. This new era need one guy to kind of, kind of really step up and, and uh, have others follow. Yeah. And you, you know, obviously you're, you've coached a long time. You say you, you, you know, you saw a guy in the big sky or you saw a guy playing D2 ball and at Sonoma state. And you said that translates, uh, give us an idea when you, when you see a player like that and you know, what did you see that you went, Oh, that that'll work at any level. Uh, just um, with Isaac is this. I didn't expect we worked him out of junior college, and we got a, we were just too late. He's just a very relationship guy, and he's really playing at Idaho. We've been recruiting him for a while, and I was like, we did a poor job. And uh, his numbers were in the NWAC's not probably the best junior college league. So I walked in the gym expecting to see a six five guy, and I saw a six nine guy, and that was it was about a three minute evaluation. I was like, oh wait, he's got productivity. <laughs> it really was his length. He's like seven three wingspan. I said, oh goodness. And so he didn't get when he and it wasn't surprised the numbers he put up at Idaho and that was a jump from junior college to that. And I was like, you know what, he's talented enough. I knew that and I wish we had him another year, but we don't. So we'll 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 try to do the best we can there. And like I said, and Jalen Wells didn't win a lot of games at Sonoma State, but twenty two games a lot. And uh watch any pass I test too, he's got good size. And it's like, okay, this guy's big and he's productive, so we'll uh you know, we'll 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 give that a swing. <laughs> yeah, and I keep thinking, you like, know. Damian Lillard was at Weber State. Like, I mean, you know, uh, in this era, uh, he would have ended up somewhere. Somebody would have come don't bring, in. Don't, don't bring up Damian Lillard on me. <laughs> he was, he was, he went to school 15 minutes away from St. Mary's, and somehow we got beat by Weber State. <laughs> that was, and we still had a really good team, but we would have, like, Della Vadova and, and Lillard together in the backcourt, which would have been pretty, pretty fun. Yeah, you found some players. Kyle Smith with us, Washington State men's basketball coach. They've got Stanford and Cal this week, fresh off beating Arizona, USC last week. Um, you know, Dana Altman came on the show, and he, he talked about the portal and the agents and the contact he's having with people he never met before. And give me an idea from your standpoint, when do you know you're in trouble with a player that's on your roster? Like, is there a, is there a red flag that goes up? Oh, man. You, you, if you're really worried about red flags, you'll, you won't, you'll be paralyzed. Because every... Every wrinkled brow and everything, anything that has you worried about it, and you just can't. Um, and I talk about it. I say, look, only people, we got to stay in the moment. Uh, the coaches and players are the only people that matter right now. I know you're going to be getting hit by agents, parents, everything else, and that's all you can do. And you know what? Eventually they're going to have to opt in 
it's just a different mindset for the coaches. We don't have as much autonomy or no authority, I would say. Yeah. Um, and uh, and but investing, and I thought that was an area we'd be good at. It's like, hey, we've always run a good program. People want to stay, and we do. But it's still powerful and tempting to you know see if the grass is greener and the options are better. So that's uh, even that's when they're not one. right. I mean, I'm sure they're yeah. getting they're getting an earful from agents oh, and outsiders. No, I know it's just like uh, like T.J. Bomb. I have a great relationship with them. Graduated from our school in three years. He came out with some college credits. Awesome kid. Great leader for us. Leading scorer. And uh, he told me he was going to do grad school here. And then, you know, he said he just had to talk it over with two people and everything's fine. And then, you know, four days later, it was like, well, I'm going to see what else. And then once that point, it's like, it, he, had, he had no idea what was coming when he put his thing in the portal. And it was just an absolute tornado. And you get swept up in that. And it's really hard to it's just hard. It's hard hard to win that battle a little bit. So Yeah, and I look I covered Jerry Tarkanian back in the day and I think he would have done great in this era. I covered oh, yeah. Bobby Knight as a beat reporter. I don't oh. think he would have been as successful. He's a great teacher, great coach, but I wonder if it would have changed the way he coached. Do you, do you find do you I, look around and wonder like how are coaches changing the way they coach players because of all this? Uh, absolutely. And I and it's still the the fundamentals are the fundamentals and you gotta be able to teach them and do that. But, and there's a little bit, you know, I always say, like, the hardest way to lead is with your heart and love and as opposed to fear and, you know, consequences. Um, but it's harder. And, and there's a lot of coaches that had a lot of success with being bullies. And I don't think that model is going to fly. Because no. you're just, you know, and there's a difference between tough love and being firm and holding them accountable versus being uh, egotistical and in a bully and um, the kids know you know I mean like the people you know they might see the far like there's there's been some coaches that are really if you watch the practice it seem really hard on their kids but if, if if you're coach them out of the idea of what's best for them they know they understand they're if it's about you and you're embarrassing them well they know that too so you got to be you know and that's where I got to you got to put checks and balance on yourself. And if they were if they had to sit out before, well, you kind of you played the game of chicken. You're really going to leave? You know, I'm going to coach you that much harder. So I think it's it's tough, tough finding the balance act, and and then having to deal with all the extra drama that comes with it is, like I said, no one's going to feel sorry for head coaches. <laughs> but our time, like I said, I'm sure you talked to Coach Altman. I mean, it's just it's just a different world, and and there's just no there's always something going on. Now, uh, before I cut you loose, uh, look across the conference. You know, you're you're going to Stanford and Cal. You you've seen everybody, or you got a good taste of what this conference is like. Um, what do you see right now? Is it as wide open as it looks? You know, it's. Uh, I think somewhat. I mean, I I do. I think it's really a lot of higher powered offenses. I mean, we're SC playing small and can really score. Arizona, you know, they can score. Stanford is shooting forty eight percent from three. These are the last three teams we played. So, and then Cal can score. So I think it's a little different. There were some more recent, there's more bigger three out, two in teams that kind of, they could control games if you didn't have enough size. But um, I just think there's more variance with more higher scoring teams. So I do think it's, uh, game, Washington's much improved. So it's, it is pretty wide open. I think the top, top to bottom, it's, it's just the best it's been uh, competitive since I've been in the league. All right, Coach, good luck this week. Uh, congrats on a great week last week. Go build on it, and, and we'll get you back on uh, later in the season. 
Okay, I appreciate it, John. Thank you. All right, take care. There he goes, Kyle Smith. He is the head basketball coach, Washington State. They've got themselves on the bubble. Jerry Palm, the bracketology expert, I reached out to him uh, in the last couple of days. I asked him, you know, how how is Oregon ranked where they're ranked? How is Arizona ranked where they're ranked? And Palm said it's a long season, but right now he's got the Ducks in. He's got Washington State in his first four that are out. Pac-12 got it looks like it has a little bit of a transition with Washington State being good and and I frankly think with Infali Dante back Oregon might be the team to beat in the Pac-12. Apologies to Arizona, they're really good. But Oregon is loaded. January 27th in Eugene, Matthew Knight Arena, Oregon, Arizona. Mark it on your calendar. All right, leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide. So a lot of the school districts uh, in the Portland metropolitan area now calling it Calling it for uh, school tomorrow. Parents are going to lose their minds. Uh, Latest, uh, Wilsonville West Lynn School District will be closed on Wednesday due to freezing rain. Stephen, your kids are uh, affected. Uh, You will not have school tomorrow as well. Yeah, North Clackamas School District, uh, my kids are both uh, got the alert that no school tomorrow. So, yeah, looks like uh, kids will be home another day. Kids are going to be home another day, and they'll be going to school into... uh, uh, mid to late June. <laughs> as, right as summertime as, starts. As that happens. But uh, so you may want to uh, pull up your uh, local school district and check that out. Um, Portland Public School District um, is showing school closed tomorrow as well. All after school activities are closed. They will monitor and update, but looks like school's closed. Uh, if you're in this listening area, your kid's probably not going to school. Uh, Kyle Smith. Really good interview. Find him very relatable, interesting, Washington State coach. I wrote about him earlier this week uh, uh, at com. Really good week for him. Beats Arizona, beats USC, had to feel good. DJ Rodman, late departure from Washington State, kind of left him in a lurch. TJ Bamba says, I'm in, I'm in. No, I'm not. I'm going to Villanova. Um, You know, he's... He lost a bunch of players off a pretty good team a year ago. Now finds himself better, Stephen, somehow better. He added a junior college transfer. He added a kid from Sonoma State Division Two. He added a Big Sky Conference player who's a pretty good Big Sky guy um, who was at Idaho. And Washington State's just kind of picked up where it left off. I mean, it's a remarkable coaching job by by Kyle Smith, but he's also talking about how you have to coach kids differently. You have to lead with love because why? Kids will jump in the portal. You can't you – know, the the fear factor's gone. Steven, you played basketball. You probably played for coaches who yelled at you or used discipline, but what would you think of that? Yeah, that it is interesting because I, I like uh, Coach Smith there, how he said the kids know, the athletes know when you're doing it out of bullying and when you're doing it out of love. And I was the same way. I don't mind being yelled at. But I want to know that you have my back. There were some times where you could tell that some coaches just didn't like the kid or, you know, they were singling them out and they really made it a point, like, almost to embarrass them, right? And so I feel like it is different now, especially because it's so easy just to hit the transfer portal. And if a kid doesn't like what you're doing, if he perceives it the wrong way, then they're going to be out. And I think it affects, you know, not only college, but I think it can also affect even, like, into the high school level. Like, there's kids now, you know, my brother's a – Coaching the bas- in the high school basketball. My wife's around it all the time, being the coach at Central Catholic, the track team. 
within she's around the basketball teams as well. Like kids are transferring in the high school level, trying to find the best fit. So I, I think all these coaches are having to evolve on the spot and on you know on the run and saying, you know what, I have to really you know teach these kids and show love because if I don't, I'm going to run that risk of losing that guy going forward. So it is interesting, and you see you know a guy like Kyle Smith who does love what he does. He loves basketball. You can tell he loves coaching basketball. He loves to coach these kids up and then his players play hard for him. So it's it is it's right on John. Like if you're if you're trying to bully these kids, you're trying to, you know, be really disciplined and it comes off on the wrong way, the players just aren't going to buy in and then you're not going to win. And I think a lot of it, you know, a lot of it in college sports, you have to have buy-in from the players. And you know, Washington State right now, they do have buy-in because of what Kyle Smith is doing. The, you know, the players can feel that love from him. Yeah, and I think, you know, he's had you know, it's early in conference play, about six games into conference play, but, you know, there's some some good teams starting to emerge. You know, Arizona's talented. Oregon looks good, and Folly Dante's back, played the other night and uh, scored eight points. Looks like he's going to be all right, and Dana Altman can keep him healthy. Look out for Oregon. Arizona State looks all right. Um, Colorado's got some talent. Utah's not bad. The L.A. schools are struggling. UCLA, Mick Cronin struggling mightily. USC doesn't look good. Um, but uh, Washington State's in this. They're in the mix there. And I think Kyle Smith would love nothing more than to go to the tournament. And here's the great irony. He goes to the NCAA tournament, and all of a sudden, he's a threat to be in the transfer portal. Like, you know, Or does he stick around at Washington State as they go to, off into the WCC next year? So keep an eye on that. Uh, I want to rip through a bunch of things going on nationally. Uh, of course, the playoffs, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys were a no-show. Found this interesting. Here's Jerry Jones talking about uh, the no-show that the Cowboys gave in the wild card round. I thought we were in a position, everybody in this room thought we were in a position to advance this thing in the playoffs and maybe uh, get as far as our dreams uh, might take us. Uh, we didn't do it. I don't have any thoughts about the reasons why or anything to do with the coaching, anything to do about the players. I want to give uh, Green Bay a lot of uh, uh, compliments and uh, credit. Uh, and uh, uh, this is uh, one of my most surprises since I've been involved in sport, period. There it is. Big surprise for him. But the Cowboys just kind of wilted. And Dak Prescott didn't look great. And the problem, again, I'm going to come back to this. You're going to disagree. I think the the person most responsible for the Cowboys' struggles in the last decade is the guy talking right there. He's changed horses numerous times. He thinks he knows football, but he doesn't. I think there's a problem at the top. But you'll probably see it as, no, it's a Dak Prescott problem. I, okay, so I agree with you that, yes, it is a problem up top, but at the same time, Jerry Jones can't control that C.D. Lamb freaked out and had a, you know, was crying on the sidelines. He can't, he can't fix the fact that Dak Prescott telegraphed a pass and got a pick six um, by Darnell Savage on the Green Bay Packers. Like, at some point, we have to blame the players for not performing up to their standards. And so I get, like, ultimately, Jerry Jones is in charge of who's the coaches, who's on this team and all that kind of stuff. But if the team is supposed to be this good, we have to say, okay, the players need to perform. We have to put a little more on the players as well than just make it easily to say, you know what, it's the owner's fault. And I feel like, especially that in Portland, like that's what we do. Anything ha bad happens as well, Jody Allen. Well, also, you know, maybe the players need to perform better. 
Yeah, but I would go back to the 2020 NFL draft. The Dallas Cowboys, with Jerry Jones' blessing, they draft CeeDee Lamb. You know, they take him, they take him high. So are you really going to take a guy at, with the 17th pick in the first round who's going to be that big of a dog for you in a big moment? How about, you know, also Dak Prescott? They bet on him. They gave him the money. They gave him the big contract. I think that there are personnel decisions that Jerry Jones, that they've got his fingerprints all over him, where you just kind of look and you go, man, would they be better off had they drafted Justin Jefferson, who was available? Five picks later, he goes, you know, he goes to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, or do you like CeeDee Lamb? You know, and I think that's where I come back to the owner's problem is that he's got to fire the general manager. And guess what? He's the general manager. So there's a problem there, I think, that is systemic. And that's why I probably don't let Jody off the off the hook either, because I go, OK, what you know, who's controlling all these decisions? Who's controlling the roster and the coach and decisions that are just made in general? It's just it's a you know, you start shaking your head and you go, OK, this is not that surprising that the Cowboys laid an egg. We're back tomorrow with another great show. Well, big guests, as always. I hope you stay warm. Check on elderly people, people living alone in your family and people not in your family. If there's someone comes to mind, check on them.